Episode 57 of the Winning Six Podcast, official podcast of BehindTheBookPass.com. I'm your host, Sites Editor-in-Chief, Adam McGee, and joining me this week, as usual, you're probably sick of both of us at this stage, but we have Jordan Tresky. Hello. As excited as ever, Jordan is to, <laughs> to get stuck into some center prospects this week. Um, we have gone through all of the other four positions. We have no alternative now but to to turn to centers. Possibly the book's biggest problem area that might be point guard. It's debatable, but butter in the mix. <laughs> it seems pretty well established that the books are going to do something at center this summer, whether that's in the draft, free agency, or trade, or it's a starter or a bench player, there's going to be at least one new face, I feel confident in saying, at center for the books. So as we have done with every other position in the previous few weeks, let's start off with the draft. And that's quite fitting, because we're going to start off with the player who, if I was running a book on potential books new face centers this summer this man might just have the shortest odds of presence and it's be the one and only Jakob Poodle what are your feelings on Mr. Poodle Jordan um he is the player who I want to say about 70 to 80 percent of mock drafts and big boards have gone to the books right now um so what can stop this rush of momentum? The poodle, the, uh, uh, I can't think of anything. Um, <laughs> good start. Let's, <laughs> um, I am very high on Mr. Poodle, uh, Jakob Poodle. Um, I, when he declared for the draft last year, I thought he would have been a perfect fit for the Bucks before he withdrew because he was kind of in that. Uh, where did why am I forgetting where they picked Blaster seventeenth? Yeah, and he would. I think I remember Mox having him in around the. I think he was around fifteen, so he would have been close to where the Bucks pick. Yeah, um, and he was potentially someone or had he obviously like Adam said if he was around that 15 range I guess I wouldn't have had a problem with him moving up slightly to get him 
but obviously with Drew, he, came, he went back to Utah and had a pretty great year. Um, I know he's not the sexiest name for the Bucks, or I mean, Jakob Jakob Putel is pretty. Sexy. Well, the name itself, I mean, that's just that's just gold. Uh, but I've seen a lot of indifference to a possible Poodle selection. And I kind of, I get it, but I also don't. I get it because on the surface, he, it feels like, oh, he's not going to be a, this, you know, top level center barring some crazy, uh, you know, leap from him as he gets older. But again, for what the Bucks need, for what we saw this year, I mean, he is the perfect blend of what they need on offense and defense. I, mean, I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. He is kind of like in the middle of what Greg Monroe is and what Miles Plumlee is. He is, and he's younger. He could become something more than that over time. You who knows? But uh, I don't know. I just I don't think it's a, certainly a safe pick. It's it's it might not be the upside that you want say compared to the other guys that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks but i mean, i don't know i i just think if he's available at 10 and there's probably a good chance because not a lot of teams that are ahead of the bucks really need a big man um in my opinion um i i just think he's a perfect pick for the bucks i don't think there's anything that gives me more positive vibes than hearing that people aren't excited about him. I think that that's the proof that he is exactly the center the books need. When everyone gets behind someone and is really excited, it generally means one of two things. Um, more often than not, gloom it's and gloom. <laughs> well, that that applies to many books scenarios, but yeah. specifically, I was thinking that. Most of the time, it means the player is going to be way too expensive. Yes. Or secondly, we're sort of getting taken in and awed by aspects of their game that don't exactly relate to or fit with the books. And as hindsight has taught us, and it is indeed 2020, Greg Monroe is the prime example of that. It was just, he was a big free agent signing, so we all got excited. Poodle, the thing for me is he's already sort of very well formed. That extra year did him a lot of good. In this year's draft, a lot of guys who took that extra year have seen their stock sort of tumble quite a lot. He's one of the few guys who's going to get the reward for staying the extra year and working on his game. Ty and I spoke about this at some stage in the last couple of weeks, but his size doesn't get talked about very often where if I'm not mistaken if he was to enter the NBA now and there are a couple of other guys in this class who are similar height and a little bit taller but at present him entering the NBA he'd be the second tallest player in the league at present only behind Roy Hibbert Roy Hibbert's the tallest player in the league? Roy Hibbert is listed at 7 foot 2 What? Yeah. Well, no, isn't Boban like 7'3"? Oh, I forgot about Boban. How could I forget about Boban? How could you forget about Boban? 
Okay, well, aside from Boban and Roy Hibbert and probably lots of other players and people, <laughs> this in great detail. <laughs> Basically, I'm trying to say is Jakubutl would be one of the bigger centers in the league, mm-hmm. and although he's not as strong as he might ultimately need to be to truly get the best out of himself or to compete with more physical centers around the NBA, his frame is. I don't know. I feel like he looks like a guy. He's got pretty broad shoulders. He's not Scalabissier, for example. No. You get the feeling he's really going to be able to hit the weight room and fill out into a ginormous man, pretty simply. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. There are other things, and we mentioned them, I don't know if it was last week or the week before. Maybe it wasn't even on the podcast. But there are these other sort of interesting details where he himself has talked about he sees himself and wants to be a Pau Gasol type center, which is fascinating. Um, And particularly if that became something even close to reality where he was really just talking about it in terms of uh, adding good range with a jump shot to his game. If that transpired and he has all his current skills and that's added into the mix, well, then he's about as perfect as the books could have at center. Mm -hmm. And potentially a really special player in the NBA. I don't know, center is a strange position where I'm not quite sure. Like when you said he he couldn't be, or he, he doesn't seem like someone who will be one of the best centers in the league. Outside of the Marcus Cousins, there's not really one big whose ceiling is so sky high, or they've made a jump that's, I guess, seems completely out of reach. For centers at present in the NBA, the biggest the biggest thing that seems to sort of separate the good from the really great is defense. And that even showed up in the all-NBA teams, where you have guys like Andre Drummond, DeAndre Jordan... That's the big factor, and I'm not sure it's something like that is beyond Poodle. Even another comparison that comes out quite a lot, and maybe it's just because of the Utah connection, but it's relevant when we're discussing them in a book sense, is Andrew Bogut. And the reality of that is if Poodle was a more athletic, more energetic version of who Andrew Bogut is now, never mind the Bogut who the books drafted, it's perfect. It's exactly what's needed for Milwaukee to really sort of kick on with a the center. They'd only really have to figure out the point guard spot then. And the starting five at least would be very well rounded. Yeah, definitely. And that is, I think the Bogan comparison makes a lot of sense for many reasons other than just the Utah connection. And you can even make a argue, obviously a Bogan has, we're seeing the playoffs, he is kind of getting slower. He's getting out there. He's what? He's probably like 31 ish, around that age range. But he's still what he is as a player. You see, he fits so well with a team like the Warriors. And I would argue that he, he would have, would fit very well with a team like the, like the Bucks now. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. And I, I think if you, I don't know, I, I see. I don't, or I see a lot of Bogut and Poodle, um, especially early Bogut. 
And like you said, if that is, if he's even just like an 80% version of Bogut, but just more athletic, I, I can't argue with having a guy like that on the Bucks. That's, that's perfect. And the other thing with that, I mean, for as much as he might not be the exciting option because he's not, say, the most dynamic or diverse scorer in a lot of ways, the books don't want that type of player. It's it's very much the same as looking at a point guard, although we think of the point guard in, in this sense a little bit more often because obviously a point guard's association with the ball is it's that's their job, that's their position. But the books don't need a really high usage center. No. It's the complete opposite. If they have someone who can excel within their scheme on both ends of the floor without it being all about them, without having to constantly run sets for them. Someone who's high IQ as well, they can sort of read and react in terms of making good screens, operating efficiently in pick and roll. That's all the books need. And I think the other another part of Poodle's game, he's he's a little bit more athletic and I guess a little bit more agile or mobile, which tend to be the words that get thrown around in terms of centers, which is a nice way of saying he's not that fast, but he's a center. But <laughs> he's pretty good at getting up and down the court. I mean, yep. that was a big plus in terms of Miles Plumley's role. There's no reason to say someone like Poodle couldn't get out and run the floor with the likes of Giannis and Jabari. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Moving on from Poodle. He's probably the center that we need to talk the least about because at this stage, I'm sure all books fans are well-versed in everything Jakob Poodle. Someone who hasn't been discussed a whole lot, maybe because it would be a little bit of a reach, but another player who could be a great fit for what the books are looking for. Damian Jones. Jones is very interesting, as in you can't go very far in reading scouting reports or any sort of prospect profiles on Damian Jones without hearing comparisons to the likes of Andre Drummond, DeAndre Jordan. He is that sort of tough interior defender who will protect the rim, finish very efficiently inside, can't really make free throws. And I don't know if it's in any way relevant, but I have seen it thrown out there by pretty high profile draft sources. Another reason for the comparison tends to be that he hasn't done that well in college, which where it might otherwise be a red flag. In this case, it's being used as a little bit of an excuse for, well, look at these guys who didn't do well in college. Maybe he's just like them. What fascinates me, maybe more than anything about Jones, though, is the buzz he's generating now on the workout scene. And one of the big factors behind that is he seems to be very effortlessly knocking down three-pointers. I wouldn't want to make any real leap and say just because he could do that in an empty gym when a lot of money is on the line for him that it's going to transpire to an NBA three-point shooter 
But considering all of the other skills, the sort of defensive fundamentals that he already has, where is your interest level at with Damian Jones? Does the idea of him being able to stretch the floor a little bit, is that interesting? Is it appealing? Would you just not read too much into it at this point? Um, I would probably not read too much into it. Again, you can eat, uh, fawn over workout stuff. And some sometimes it sticks to the players, but I think a lot of times it tips the scale the other way, and it's like, oh, what is where's that guy that we saw in, the, in his one-on-one workout or before the draft or whatever, all those skills. Um, he actually – funny that you mentioned the comparisons because I see a lot of John Henson and Damian Jones. Um, I know that might stir some people wrong in a wrong way. And that would be, Oh, like people think or agree with that. But um, I, I I think he also, I want to say he was also, he went out for the draft last year, but he backed up too. I could be wrong, but he was. I think I think, I think that might be right. I think unlike Poodle, he was maybe a bubble first round guy. Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. Um, but yeah, as far as interest, I think he's good. But I think I think he's gonna be a fine player. But I I with that Henson comparison. Some of the similarities, block, shot blocker, kind of streaky free throw shooter, or sometimes bad free throw shooter at times. Streaky uh, is very kind. Yeah. yeah. I've never heard of a streaky free throw shooter. Uh, it's John Hansen to a T, if it, if it applies to anybody. But, um, yeah, I, I, I – I don't know. I, I, I just think it, it would be a kind of a redundant fit. You don't see him as, as the starter. I mean, I don't see – do we see John Henson? I just feel like it's going to be like the same. We have never seen John Henson as the starter. That's part of the problem with John Henson. For yeah. whatever reason, we have never seen that. And I, feel, I don't know. I just – I see a lot of John Henson. And I'm a believer in Henson, but – I just feel like if you, you want, don't, you don't need two Hensons in your life. Is basically what you're saying. Yeah, like like we were saying last week. Sometimes a sequel isn't that good. You know, actually, a lot of times a sequel is that good. That's that's how it goes. What I will say, just back to the workouts, and we are fans of workouts. We talk about workouts oh, in the off season. Um, we're champions of workouts. <laughs> interestingly enough, Damian Jones, uh, I think he held a run of say three or four days of workouts i'm gonna say it was in chicago but the players he was working out with were our friend jacob poodle uh gershon yebusele second round power forward from france and carl anthony towns and that's what i saw chad ford report and seemingly damian jones was impressing holding his own and that setting um so it's somewhat interesting i think it's got to be taken into consideration and what i think it speaks of is 
a guy who can really show out in workouts, having not done a lot during the season, or not done as much as he can during the season in college, that is the same kind of guy who goes off in a contract year and then he gets signed and can at times look a little bit on the lethargic side after the money is in his pocket. So I don't know, not to read too much into that, but it's worth noting. What I'd say is he's a guy who's probably going to fall in, we'll say from anywhere from just outside of the lottery, maybe, maybe inside the moment draft express have him at 14, but I'd say anywhere from maybe 15 to 25 would seem like a good, a good gauge of where Damian Jones range would be. If the books were to decide to trade down, which I only just saw before we started recording this a couple of days ago, Chad Ford of ESPN said the books were one of three teams who were most likely to trade their pick, Hmm. which I hadn't heard before and sort of surprised me. I just wish there was more context to it, as in trade, (laughs) trade trade up, trade down. There's a lot of different ways the books could mess up that situation without us having the finer details. Yeah. Uh, he said, let's see, Celtics, Kings, Books, and Jazz are all strong options to trade pick. Which pick? I'm going to guess it's 10. I'm going to guess. Just just have a hunch. Even though 36 to 38 is possibly bundled. Yeah. Huh. Anyway, if the books were to trade, and they were to trade down, as we've talked about at length in the past, it seems like a more sensible option than trading up for where the books are, for what they'd get from moving up, for what they'd have to give to move up. If they're to trade down, though, how would your interest level be then? If you could get him and him and the Wade Baldwin or Demetrius Jackson or Tyler Eulis, if you could do something like that where you come out with a point guard option and a center option and he was your center, would that make you feel any differently on it? Or are you just yeah, still saying Henson? I, mean, I, I, I still see Henson. I'm, I'm definitely a proponent for the possibility of trading down because like we said, if you get to guys that may fall out of the lottery or maybe beyond. Um, I think that'd be a good thing for the Bucks because of many reasons, like we've said in the past. Uh, as far as Jones, though, I think I, I think I would probably come to grips with it, but it's not my preferred choice. I think there might be some of the names that we are probably going to talk about later or soon. Uh, I think there are better options for them to get something different and maybe not have a, a Henson 2.0 or, you know what I mean, kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, I think I would probably be okay with it if, it got, if you got someone else out of it as well. I agree on that. Just some guys we'll get to later who I think thinking different was how you put it, and I think that's definitely the right way to describe it. I just don't know how much faith I have in the books thinking quite as differently about it as maybe we are but we'll see um moving on let's let's get to our two 
new Eastern European friends. It's a good job, Ty Wendish isn't here. Um, he would murder the pronunciation, even though he should know better <laughs> at this stage. Um, let me see if I can remember which one is from which country. One is from Bosnia and Herzegovina, and the other is Croatian. Um, we have Avika Zubac. I'm going to say he's from Bosnia and Herzegovina. You are correct. Oh, okay. And Ante Zizic from Croatia. We'll start mm. with Zubac, even though, as wrong as it would be to do so, these two guys could nearly be bundled in together because they are very similar in style, in size, in background. Zubac is the one he's a little bit bigger. Um, he is 7-1, much like Poodle. He is, I think, I'm going to say, just under 270 pounds. So he has the sort of size, strength, bulk that you're looking for from sort of a more traditional inside center where Zizic, a little bit smaller, just around the seven foot mark, 240 pounds. Where he has the advantages, he has produced a little bit better so far in his professional career in Europe. What about either of these international prospects? Is there is there anything in their game? They do vary a little bit in terms of defense and fluctuate between the two guys, but in that style of center, these are sort of good post scores, really physical around the rim. Even if they're not the greatest defenders, they have super size, so it's not going to be easy to score over them. Either um, of those guys yeah. like. I am uh let's get the bad joke out of the way. I am pro Zizic. Uh thank you. Uh <laughs> I uh I he's I don't know, I feel like he's an a, a attractive and attractive draft and stash guy. Um I don't know if the Bucks would explore that avenue. I think whoever, whatever team he goes to is probably going to go that way. Um, Do you think I so? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure on either of those guys. I feel like they might be ready to come over and play. Maybe maybe it's the third center in a rotation. But I, I just get that vibe. I'm not sold that they are drafted slash guys. Obviously, if that happens, it happens. I don't know how keen either of those guys would be, though. I feel like they might be pushing, pushing maybe for a team that will bring them over straight away. Yeah, that could be true. Um, and particularly in the range, they'll they'll both be first rounders, potentially even top twenty or around that mark. I'm not sure. I I think they're they're both more fully formed. Although they're, they're, I think their ability needs some work and that makes it more appealing to bring them over. It's, this is where it would be helpful if you had a D-League team, but at the same time, to bring them over, sort of get hands-on and work on development in that sense. Because both guys are big and strong already. It's not like you're waiting for them to fill out to be able to compete. Physically, they should be up to the task. It's more about sort of polishing off any sort of rough edges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I, that's true. Yeah, um, 
as far I mean I don't know I it's this is just the more intriguing one to me um, partially because of you you've been able to see more production on them that's no slight to Zubach or is, is that how you yeah you got it right Zubach? Okay. good uh, yeah that's no slight to him because obviously he hasn't had the same playing opportunities uh, I believe for what's the club and Zubach know. is the Megalex. He's the Megalex. Oh, he's okay. Made of Fluawu and Zagarach. That's right. Okay. There's a lot of Ratch. Ratch. I've I've just finished the sixty pick mock draft. I'm I'm down on all of these European prospects at this point. You should narrow. You know those like YouTube videos where they <laughs> say people's names. You should make your own for. Like, Ivica Zubac. I don't know if that's a great idea purely because of my accent. I don't know if that's going to help anyone. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. See, you've grown used to it. Regular listeners probably don't notice anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I can add him. I think, like I said, I think this is the more intriguing one. I think he has... He's. I, I see him fitting in that Plumley role type, uh, from what we saw from Plumley this year, uh, right away. Um, but yeah, I, uh, yeah. I, I'm in agreement with John Zizic. Most of the time, and I've done it here, but most of the time you see or hear these guys' names, they do tend to be sort of bundled together, and that yeah. applies on sort of mock drafts, draft boards everywhere. When I put together our latest mock draft, as I mentioned, and as you should go and check out on site, I actually put Zizic quite a lot higher. I think I put Zizic at 20 and Zubac at 30. And the main reason for that is it's actually because Zizic is a little bit lighter and he seems to move around the court a lot easier and his motor is quite a lot higher. A big concern with Zubac was that he doesn't quite have the best conditioning yet or he can gas out. Zilic maybe has a little bit too much energy, and that will be one of the, the tests for teams bringing him over, just getting him to calm down and sort of play at a more even pace. But he's someone who... Chibona Zagreb, our high-quality team, we've talked about this before, the Adriatic League isn't the very, very top of European play, but it's it's a reliable measure of guys who are pretty high quality and more often than not and even if you run through a lot of this year's prospects you'll find a lot more of the european players are actually starting to come from there than the likes of the spanish league and that makes a lot of sense because it is that sort of adriatic area where basketball tends to be more popular in europe there's a long history in the nba of eastern european guys this could be sort of a way that that next chapter sort of grows from there I'm going to say I'm not mixing this up with Zubac now. I'm pretty confident. But I think Zizic's season, yeah, Zizic's season was the second best season by most statistical measures in Adriatic League history, only trailing Denver's Yusuf Nurkic from just before he oh. came over to be drafted by the Nuggets. So even that in itself, just to be able to be in that company, that's a nice little comparison. Nurkic has struggled with injuries, but when healthy, he is a really, really good center. Um, mm -hmm. 
I like Zizic a lot. Um, I, there's no way he goes at 10. I say, I didn't think, I, I looked back on my mock draft from last year where I had Rashad Vaughn at 27. Um, so maybe he could be my 10 jump guy this year. But <laughs> I don't think that's an option. But if, say, they were to trade down and do a deal with the Celtics, who would be the most logical team in terms of pick placement, maybe, maybe the Nuggets, but that might be a little bit greedy on the books part probably easier to do a deal with the celtics zizic could be a guy who would be right in the wheelhouse of i think the celtics pick at 23 um i I like him he's he's a nice prospect i i agree he needs a little bit of work but i don't know if i'd look to stash him i think you get more out of bringing him over doesn't mean he wouldn't learn there and maybe if he was to stay you'd look for him to go to one of the bigger Spanish clubs just so he's playing in EuroLeague more regularly if he's at mm-hmm. Barcelona or Sevilla or Real Madrid. The whole program is closer to an NBA style in terms of professionalism, in terms of the whole preparation. So maybe that would be an idea if he was to be stashed. I honestly don't feel like you'd want to be without him for more than a year, and particularly in the book sense, I'd say, like, well, why not? I mean, <laughs> it's better yeah, It's better than another year, Craig Monroe. Bring him over, let him make mistakes, let him learn, and we go from there. Moving on from being pals. Someone who is much closer to home for the Milwaukee Bucks. Diamond Stone, Milwaukee native certified bona fide milwaukee native as far as i'm aware he's not yeah and and books fan he was he sort of made a conscious effort to point that out in his interviews with the press at the combine and so far and it's everybody says everybody said sorry to him i mean that must you must be used to that oh yeah (laughs) <laughs> but so far, there's been no rumblings of the books having interviewed or worked out Diamond Stone, although there is still time. I've found it a little strange myself that the books have sort of, they started up workouts for three days and then seemed to halt them. I know John Hammond is on the road going, attending sort of higher profile workouts here and there. He was in New York at Ton Maker, Jamal Murray, and... I want to say Jalen Brown. No, that that was in LA. He was there as well last weekend. Oh. Um, Tom Maker, Jamal Murray, and Brandon Ingram. Oh yeah. Um, I don't. I let's. I don't know what he was doing there, but if it was Brandon Ingram related, well then we're in for a very fun three weeks. Um, <laughs> I would like to see some more workouts soon. I believe they're coming in the next week or so, and you do tend to get some of the higher-profile names closer to the draft. It'll be interesting to see if Stone then gets a call in to take a closer look at him. His draft stock is very much in flux at the moment. He was a 
he was in around the lottery for most of the years on a lot of major big boards. That seemed to be the read most scouts had him, and I'm not sure exactly what it is. Maybe it's the rise of some of the international prospects. Maybe it's the likes of the incident he had playing against Wisconsin, where I can't remember who it was, but he sort of slammed their head into the ground. Whatever it is, he has dropped considerably in a lot of people's estimation to the point where he looks like he could fall into the second round. In that sense, this probably makes this discussion a little bit more interesting because sure, if the books ends up trading down, he could be an option later in the first, but depending on what different teams are looking for early in the second round, if he falls there, the books aren't too far off at 36 to have to wait. If they go with a an option who isn't a center in the first round, if they don't pick Jakob Poodle and Diamond Stone is on the board at 36, do you take Diamond Stone? No. No, I don't. No sentiment with Jordan. What is that, Jordan? Uh, uh, I think it's... I think the fit would be wonky, if I could say that. Um, I can say that. Okay, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Devin Stone. Um, I actually think he probably would have been better off staying another year in school. Because I think the whole Maryland – we saw with, like, a guy like Noah Trimble, he was – he wasn't really high on a lot of boards throughout the year, but he was, like, a solid first-round pick. I feel and like, I feel like, I feel like uh, Maryland had too many sort of good guys for a team that wasn't that exceptional. You know yeah. what I mean? There, there was no space for anyone to really shine because in guys who could be drafted or could have been, you have Melo Trimble, who has since withdrawn. You have Robert Carter, who transferred over from Georgia Tech. He'll probably go in the second round. Um, Jake Lehman, he'll probably go in the second round. There's not a lot of space, and particularly for Stone, when you've got uh, Robert Carter there. I mean, Robert Carter could be a center on a lot of other teams. Any time on the floor for them together, you're not going to quite get to show as much inside or rebound as much as you'd like. It didn't seem like an ideal situation for anyone. Yeah, it, it, it didn't. I think that's why they kind of... Not petered out, but just it was... They were definitely thought of as a favorite coming into the or into in like in the month leading up to the tournament, and then for whatever reason, maybe just chemistry or whatever, all that stuff, it just kind of they flamed out for them. And I, I think, like you said, the pieces not a lot of the pieces fit together. Some guys need bigger roles, or you know, whatever. But going back to Stone. Uh, I I don't know. I just I feel like he is. I would feel better if they say the Bucks were to select them, if they had a D League team this year, this coming year. I feel like he is a prime candidate to stay. 
for a whole year in the, in, in the D league, because I just think he needs a lot of work. He needs some strength. He's certainly talented. And obviously from, you know, being from the area, he was a name you heard about a lot because <laughs> there weren't, he was probably as big, probably the biggest name prospect I've heard in quite some time now, now that I think about it. Um, I, See, I could I, be obviously I'm coming at this from a distance, but I, I could be wrong on it. But sort of from a, quite a distance out, you tend to hear a lot more about him than, say, another Wisconsin native, Henry Ellenson, who was playing, was playing in state in college with Marquette. Ultimately, performed a lot better and will be picked a lot higher on draft night. Is that uh-huh. is that an accurate read on it? There was a lot more hype around Stone than there was around Ellenson. Yeah, I would agree. I think that might be due to personalities, maybe as much as anything, too. Pers- yeah, definitely personalities and the fact that Stone kind of not blew up. But he Wisconsin was interested in him, and he didn't. I mean, he obviously did not go there. So there was kind of this animosity in that show that in the times that they played against each other. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I feel like kind of goes back to Damian Jones. I, I feel like he's a solid, he's going to be a solid player. Maybe he's third center or second center. Who, who knows? But I just don't, I think he needs a lot of work. And I think in terms of something different, he's, <laughs> he's a bad, something different in my eyes, as far as fit goes, I feel like he kind of has a lot of Greg Monroe yeah. style plays, and that's not a bad thing, obviously. If you're talented, well, I was going to say that because um, our prospects profile on Diamond Sound actually posted today, and um, John Heffernan wrote it, and he made the point, and I feel confident saying that John is actually one of the bigger Greg Monroe fans, definitely on staff. But he made the point that there's no point in drafting diamond stone because he is a slightly lesser greg monroe i mean he's not quite as good in terms of being an inside score he doesn't rebound as well they're about the same if stone isn't even worse defensively and then he doesn't even have say the passing ability that monroe has yeah and as much as it would be nice if it was otherwise he's even he's a little bit smaller than monroe he's only 610 it just doesn't make sense. It would be nice if it did. If books fans are hoping for a Wisconsin native to be drafted, I think Henry Ellenson is much more realistic. He'd be a more realistic option as the book center, even though we spoke about him last week. He's a guy who, if he fills out, could easily play center in the NBA. May ultimately be something of a, sort of a stretch shooting center he'd be a better option and would give the books more of what they need more of something different in a positive way to counter what you said (laughs) than what they'd get out of diamond stone and that's that's unfortunate he can contribute in the league there's definitely good landing spots for him but unless he figures some stuff out mentally he improves a lot in terms of his ability at the moment, he's looking like a guy who could be in the league for a long time, but will be in the league for a long time as sort of an offensive bench sort of 
a spark off the bench. Mm-hmm. Someone who'd come in, maybe energize the crowd, irritate some of the opposition, get some quick points, and turn a game on its head. But that's on the good nights, and you don't want to be there for the bad nights. Yeah, definitely. Moving on from Diamond Stone, we land at my favorite prospect in the 2016 NBA draft. I don't want to call him Jordan's favorite, but I know he's close. He's definitely one of Jordan's favorites. And those of you who regularly listen, those of you who regularly read us, will not be surprised when I say we're speaking about Louisville's Chinanu Onwaku. When we started our prospect profile pieces way back in February, um, Onwaku was actually the second guy we did. I, I wrote the Onwaku profile, and it was greeted with, why are we talking about a second-round prospect in February? And... The reason why is because he's really good and he is, <laughs> he is a perfect fit for what the books needed. So whether it's February or January, even if it's December. Or March. Yeah. I mean, we can make up whatever month you want. Those guys will always be relevant. It's a Simpsons reference. Sorry. It's That's a what reference? It's a Simpsons reference. I missed that one. I don't... Um. There's a lot of episodes. I'm normally, I'm normally good with Simpsons references, but you take Simpsons references to new heights. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Jordan has a library of Simpsons gifts as well, just yeah. ready for him. I've lost my train of thought now. Oh, yeah. Anuaku is just a good fit for the books. Full stop. And he has been for quite a while. He impressed at the Combines and everything has sort of trended up for him since, which is remarkable considering, I'm not sure if it was actually at the combine or just after some of the physical tests he did detected a minor heart condition and he was forced to undergo uh, once again, minor as I think as minor as any heart procedure is, but a minor procedure sat out, any on-court activity for seven to ten days. These are the sort of things that should kill someone's draft stock. And they came for him right at the point where he could have withdrawn, he could have gone back to college. But the positive buzz kept going. If anything, it built. And here we are, he's in the draft. He hasn't backed out. We've been over it before, but I'll let you start. What is it about Chinanu Onowaku that would work well for the books that makes him seem like a guy who, although he's pretty unheralded, could have a really nice future in the NBA. Um, I just think his versatility. I think he's he's kind of like a jack of all trades, master of none. He's not really I don't think there's like a signature skill about him. Like, oh, this thing is above the rest. Like, everything else is fine, but like, this is what you really want him to be on the team. I think he's offensively. I think he's a good passer. Um, he had that crazy. I, I think you included in that when you wrote that article that crazy like behind the back pass or something. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Um, and defensively, I I just think the fact that he can hold his own when it's when he's not around the rim, 
and can bother shots on the perimeter, all this stuff, and and be able to like keep with faster players than he is, faster guards or whatever. I think that's a huge plus. I think it kind of gives you again gives you something different. I feel like this is a a key phrase in our podcast this week. Just it gives you something different defensively. Um, I don't know. There's just a lot to like about him. I, I feel like if there, he, I don't know. I feel like he kind of sneaks into the first round, maybe goes higher than a lot of people expected or expect. Um, I mocked him at 29 to the Spurs because I think with them, I think he'd be like a perfect Spur. I think Popovich would love him. Yeah. And with them losing Boban probably this summer, they'll need someone who's pretty cheap. It doesn't get much better than a, a rookie in that sense. I just think he'd sort of fit in and be able to contribute straight away. Like, it sounds crazy, but if the books drafted on Owaku, I would not be surprised if he was a starter by the end of the season. I, yeah. I think he can really hit the ground that running because everything is sort of in place for him to do that, particularly in a team where he's not going to be asked to do much of anything, bar sort of be the fifth guy in the court and cover over all the cracks. And I, yeah. I disagree with you a little bit because I do feel the big standard thing for him is I think his defense just sort of shouts out beyond everything else because he's a really, really strong rim protector. And for a guy who's only 6'10", um, that's pretty impressive. But he's done a great job of not only blocking shots, but he alters shots, he challenges guys, makes it difficult for them to finish around the rim. Just a really sort of smart defender whose positioning will always be about as close as you can get to being in the right spot at the right time. As you mentioned, though, even bigger than that is his ability to go out and close out guys. And it's not just if the switch happens and he gets pulled out there, he'll do it. He sort of looks like he wants the the challenge of going out and guarding smaller guys, quicker guys, more skillful players. And he can go out all the way to the three-point line, beyond the three-point line, and he can stick with them. He's got really good lateral quickness. In fact, across the floor, he moves really well for a guy who doesn't exactly look like he's in the best shape in the world. And mm. um, he is super mobile, to use that big man term again. <laughs> he brings into the mix the sort of rim-running good athlete, so he can bring what Plumlee brought to the table solid inside finisher he doesn't have a jump shot really that he's going to stretch the floor with uh, we saw that with Plumlee last year i'm not sure it matters for the books they don't need that none of their bigs did that last year and that wasn't the problem with what the books had at center famously he does shoot granny free throws underhand free throws personally though i think that and I think Rick Pitino said this about him. Someone did. I'm going to say it was Rick Pitino. I remember when I was researching way back for that profile of him. But I think it speaks a lot of his character because to be brave enough, knowing you're just going to, you're, you're going to be a viral sensation. People are going to laugh at you everywhere. Look at you, you college basketball player, taking underhand free throws. 
but he really didn't care. He did it, and he improved his free throw percentage by like 15 or 16 points by doing it. So you're like, wow, that's someone who's really proactive. They're really thinking things true. And they just want to win and be as good as possible. They're not really worried about the aesthetics of it. It's sort of, that's it, someone who's driven and they have the right mentality. Um, maybe it's because we've sort of talked about and shouted about Onoaku so much, but at different times of the season, I know between my own account and the site's account, I've got multiple tweets from people who really, really closely followed Louisville basketball, and they all love him. As a character, they say he's a really great guy. They all desperately wanted him to go back for another year there. I, I, I don't have anything bad to say because I feel like even his limitations, as we talked about earlier when I, when I said people not being excited about Poodle is a good thing, his limitations just mean he's not going to be the busy, buzzy, busy buddy, high usage center that the books want to avoid. <laughs> Hashtag busy buzzy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't busy buzzy has killed me, but I don't, I don't have a bad thing to say about Anuaku. Um, if the books took him at thirty six or thirty eight, it could be the steal of the draft. Not in terms of what his talent level ultimately pans out to be, but in terms of what he'd mean to the books. He could be one of these guys, and we've talked to plenty who are potentially on their way out of Milwaukee, but will be worth a lot more to the books than any other team. Anything else you want to add on Iwaku? No, I think I think you put it perfectly. And included the word busy buzz. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't think of that myself as someone that loves up the words. I, I didn't even know I had busy buzzy in me, but there you go. <laughs> Moving on from Anuaku, a player who has some similarities. Um, you actually wrote about him and, and did a profile piece on him. I'm going to say about six weeks, maybe two months ago now. I'm not sure completely on the pronunciation. Is it Prince Ebay or Ibay? I think Ibay, I believe. Okay, Prince Ibay. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I, I think I think eBay, but eBay then sounds like eBay, the yeah. auction site, so it throws me then. But it's probably one of those two, or maybe something else. There's enough. That people should have the general general sense of who we're talking about. What is it about Prince, as we would call him, that you like the look of or feel like could lead to him becoming some sort of decent role player in the NBA? Um, I think it's a lot of the same, a lot of, he shares a lot of the same similarities with Onuwaku where he, I mean, he's just so long that he obviously is a great shot blocker. That's frankly, that's pretty much what he is at this point. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's around the rim or if it's, again, in a pick and roll out in the perimeter or something like that. He just knows how to stay with guys, even though 
he isn't he's very agile but he isn't just I, I don't know it's he has a weird kind of movement that it I haven't really seen in a big guy before it's I don't know it's strange but uh, I think I I can't remember who it was but there's something I was reading on him earlier today even and he was described as having a jerky sort of movement yeah and Double it is appropriate it doesn't look too natural really yeah, and I think if there was anybody else, when you hear that, you think, oh, he's not really disciplined or it's a bad thing. But for him, it kind of fits what he is. Like, it's not a, it's not a knock on him. It's just that's how he moves, I guess. Um, I just think how he is defensively or, or what he is defensively, and I, I believe even Draft Express said it, or uh, Mike Schmitz of Draft Express said it when he did a profile on him. He just, what he is defensively just belongs to the NBA. It's what teams are looking for. It doesn't matter if he is just a third center or maybe say he's a second center or something like that eventually. People are just, or teams are just going to want a guy like him. Um it's so the other stuff that has he has to iron out, and it's frankly everything, unfortunately. Um, Does that not concern I, you? Because I think I'm right in saying he is a senior, isn't he? Yes. Like his focus is an issue, confidence is reportedly an issue, mm-hmm. and as you said, I mean he doesn't have much of any real offensive game. Nope. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I can't put it any other way, though. He just has – I think he's, again, like what I was – or what we were saying about Dennis Snow, I think he's going to be in the D-League for at least a year, maybe more, depending on how focused the team is accepting of him or coach, you know, outlines the role, gives him confidence, all this stuff. Because it clearly that's how he became – or was talked about even being even drafted. Uh, they had or the starting center for Texas, Cameron uh, Ridley, got hurt. Head coach or Shaka Smart, who's a great coach, obviously, said, "We need you. We think I think you're going to be the most important guy on the team, or something like that." And he went on to have a solid season in like for conference play. Um, if he goes to a situation where a coach is not like that and kind of gives a tough love, I don't know what – I. that could be a really bad thing. I mean, um, I, I don't know if he can grow on offense, but I don't know if it has to matter. The, the sort of mold of a player that's sticking out to me, if you think of, like, say what Kendrick Perkins was for the championship-winning Celtics. Yeah. If you can just teach him, say, look – you don't have this great post game. You don't have this wider range of moves that are going to get you easy buckets. You're not a floor spacer. You don't really have a jump shot in any way. Forget about all that. What we want you to focus on is understanding, reading the game. And on offense, your job is to adjust to what the defense is showing, communicate with your point guard, and set really good screens. Mm-hmm. Set really good screens that are going to create opportunities for everybody else. If you set your screen and you roll to a spot where if they decide to ignore you or just discredit you, you'll get an easy lay-in or you'll create the space for someone else. 
And then on the defensive end, you know what to do. It's just stay engaged, play your natural game, and everything will follow from there. That would work for the books. I don't know how many other teams in the NBA that that would work for, but the books don't need a whole lot out of their center than a guy who will maybe trail in fast breaks to literally just slam home open dunks. Um, set good screens to help get guys more space and then to play good defense. Mm. I, I think a 36 or 38 is a big reach, though. Yeah, I, um, I think I completely agree. They, they have to, and you don't have to do much to pick up a late second round pick, but they probably would have to do that and get something in late 40s, maybe early 50s. Still, interesting player. Mm-hmm. And I think to kind of piggyback on what you're saying about like a guy or model yourself after a guy like Perkins, I think we saw in the playoffs a guy like Bismack Biombo. He's he has more skills than famous I for just, having hands like bricks. And yeah. Here and here we are, reportedly going to earn seventeen million dollars a year. Yeah. He can he can barely catch a ball. Yeah, that's that's frankly all Ibe needs to do um, <laughs> offensively, and he'll be fine. He just has to get better as a rebounder to, I guess, live up to a comparison like Biombo. But as a big man, you need a rebound, obviously. But there's something that is going to fit in the NBA. I just don't know when. I don't know how. Oh, I know how. Sorry. <laughs> But I, it's just a matter of when, I think. Moving on, another second round center prospect. Um, someone who again was profiled us recently. Um, Tom Feister took a look at Greek national teammate of Yanis Antetokounmpo's, Georges Papayanis. I feel like this could be some sort of situation where there'd be all sorts of Smurfs photoshops open. I, I love how you threw your hands in the air thinking the same. I'm not sure anyone else did. Someone tweeted, I can't remember, someone tweeted something at me about Papianis yesterday and I nearly went full Smurfs on it and I said, no, I'll hold back. Um, an interesting detail on this John Hammond was in Greece, I'm going to say, two to three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he was said to be scouting in Greece. There was pictures of him in Greece with old friends in Greece. Obviously, Greece is a place that brings good memories to John Hammond. One of his <laughs> bigger success stories um, was born out of trips to Greece, I'm going to guess. But that's an interesting one. There's no other Greek prospect likely to be drafted this year. Um, to actually make the trip over to take a closer look, if that was the intention of it, it would indicate there's some real interest. And obviously, if he's a teammate of Yanis and Yanis actually quite likes him, that is also the sort of thing which can influence these decisions because Yanis is now that important to the books that if he was sort of like, hey, I really, I really like, I don't think Yanis is this type of person yet. I don't think Giannis has this LeBron James ego 
this uh, get me Shabazz Napier sort of <laughs> strange LeBron quirk of personality. But if Giannis did sort of go, bring me Papa Giannis, which is funny even to say now, um, I think the Bucks might bring him Papa Giannis. Getting down to his game, though. What do you like, dislike about Papianis? Could he be a fit? Is he worth a gamble in the 36 to 38 range? Um, hmm. um certainly would be a gamble. I don't know. I don't know if he's worth it. Uh, I don't know. Do you you would know better than me? Has he? Are there any indications that he was instantly going to come over next year, or is? I do, I don't know. Um, I think there is a feeling that he might stay and move to a slightly more high profile team. He's playing for Panathinaikos at the moment, who are traditionally one of the bigger franchises in Greek sports, not just basketball. And their their football club will be one of one of the more successful Greek teams. Um, I I think with a lot of guys, it's got to depend on the team, really, isn't it? I mean, I, I struggle to see the books if the books draft a center, unless they use all three of their picks, or maybe use all three and find a fork from somewhere. I struggle to see them stashing a guy. Unless it's just, we're not going to have the roster space, but we really like this guy. At center, I think it's someone they'd bring over sooner. Maybe the one situation where I could see them stashing him would be if they were committed to not trading Greg Monroe, Mm. giving it another year, possibly still looking for another center or re-signing Plumlee, someone who could help them in the short term and then say, well, we know 12 months from now we have an open roster spot. That would be one avenue if they don't go with a center in the first round, want to go with a European or international prospect in the second. Maybe that's where it would make some sense and you'd have that sort of option. But otherwise, I don't don't know. I think if... If the Bucks got a guy like Papianis is once again really big, physically ready as well. He's not someone who is going to look out of place. He's really tall. He's got a good strong frame. I sort of once again, I don't know why you leave him there unless you can sort of match make to the point where you know he ends up somewhere in Europe where he's going to get the, I mean, the very best guidance. That it's just as good, if not better, than bringing him over. That he's still closer to his family. Maybe the cultural differences aren't quite as jarring initially. Unless you can sort of fix a situation like that with it, I think you'd bring him over. And even to bring him over, the advantage in this case, compared with some of the other options, is you you know he would have Giannis. That's something that would be pretty big in terms of how do you get the new Greek guy to settle in in a hurry? Well, here's his international team, mate. He's been through it. He's been through it in a much harder way, having done it on his own. I don't know. Papianis is intriguing because he's good rim protector, good rebounder, efficient inside scorer. 
He has flashes of a jump shot, even though he hasn't done maybe quite as much with it as you'd like. It's the sort of thing with under a year, you might see some more of it. He's a nice sort of well-rounded center. Back to the back to the discussion even we had with Poodle, maybe, where you're not going to say he's truly exceptional, but he doesn't have too many really obvious weaknesses. I think he's another guy who conditioning is a question over. Maybe he could get into better shape. That's not something you worry about too much with most guys in an NBA setting, though. It's like if someone's a little bit... I don't... This can obviously go to extremes and there are players where this doesn't stand for, but I'd almost rather draft prospects be a little bit out of shape rather than to have to really sort of push themselves into a frame that doesn't seem natural for them. Yeah. That's a much... I It it's, would seem normal for any human being like to, to make a level to when you're playing then professionally a sport... You'd imagine that with everything that goes with that, you would find yourself in better shape, better condition than anyway. So that doesn't bother me as much as when I see a guy like the next player we're going to talk about who I don't, I don't even know how they make up what they need to physically. I don't know if it's possible. So that doesn't concern me in terms of a knock. I, I'm quite intrigued with Papianis. The, the only problem I'm having with any of these guys, say, after nearly after Poodle is mm. I'm finding it hard to look past the books drafting Poodle. Yeah. I honestly, and this is, this is the books. They could shock us. They will shock us. That's what they do. But I, I, I really don't know what happens if they don't, if they don't pick a center in the first round, I think it's a guarantee that they get one in the second and then it could be someone they stash. But it's really difficult to assess these guys and the reality of it and whether they're worth 36 or 38 because in the back of my mind, they're like, well, 36 or 38, they, they have 10 where they can get a center, so they don't need that. That could change if they get someone who we all feel, well, that could be a point guard at 10 or that's an excellent wing or forward for depth at 10 and then they still need the center. That will change the perception a little bit, but it's... For me personally, I find that tricky because not even that I want it, although I'm certainly not against it, I'm very much tied into the belief. I said this to you privately a few weeks back. I would bet a sizable amount of money on the books drafting Jakob Poodle if he's on the board. And I don't see why he wouldn't be at present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah I, I completely agree, I think. I think knowing that it kind of clouds how you feel about certain players because you just, I don't know, it just seems like we've been associated with Poodle for such a long time. Even going back to last year, I, I swear I, I saw some possible uh, fits with him before he uh, withdrew that kind of like, oh, there's, it just makes super sense. And then any other guys after him, or since since we talked about him, it's just it's like oh we like him, but can you get past the fact that are they gonna Bucks gonna draft two big men? They could. It might not be. That's probably not a smart thing. That is definitely not a smart thing. But um, yeah, I 
Papagiannis is intriguing. I, I do like him a fair amount. But, again, the draft and stash, I, I just feel like that's the best route for him. And, frankly, if if the Bucks are still committed to making the fit with Greg Monroe work, or try it at least again, um, I feel like that's the only way for them that they would entertain drafting a guy like Papagiannis because he is they wanted to have another year uh, overseas. Um, yeah, yeah. One thing that we maybe missed earlier, but I feel like it's worth noting, in regards to Poodle, it was quite telling in his media interviews at the Combine. He was asked specifically about the books and how he felt he'd fit, and obviously he referenced playing under former Flash in the Pan books coach Larry Kraskoviak. Um, but he also said that he feels like he's a pretty natural fit for what the books are doing. It was about as close as you're going to get to any player openly stating a desire to play for the books. I feel at the combine, you get guys who are who who have no problem speaking with how much of an honor it would be to play under Jason Kidd, but to actually sort of say, I would like to play for the Milwaukee Books is rare unless you're a local like Diamond Stone. Yeah. So I, I found that quite telling and it's it's definitely something which factors in for the books. Maybe not now, because this is a slightly different era. I think the ownership in particular are confident, well, who wouldn't want to come to Milwaukee and play for the books? But from a more traditional sense, I think with the fan base, with some of the people who've been around the organization longer, and John Hammond would namely be one of them, the idea of someone who seems to want to play in Milwaukee that's a big, big check. I mean, that's that's something that takes away like 50% of the worries that you, you tend to have about other guys you could bring in. So it's worth noting, and I think that's even subconsciously. Once I heard that, it really strengthened the whole idea for me. I was like, okay. The poodle movement? Yeah, I just... It's too good to be true, though, isn't it? I mean... This is exactly where the books just do what you don't they, expect. They zig the guys, when... The guys, <laughs> yeah, they zig when everyone else zags. But the guy seems like a perfect fit, wants to be a player on the team. That's when they go, Ton Maker yeah. at 10. Ton Maker <laughs> is the guy. Yi Zhen Lee, part two. Let's go. That was a very nice way of setting up. Um, our oh. final draft prospect at center. That was that. Oh, yeah. You did me a favor. I couldn't have couldn't have done it better. I've left him to last, even though he probably will go earlier than this. But I've left him to last because I just don't buy into any of it. This is the man I like to call Juki, even though Jordan corrected me last week that at the combine anyway he was being referred to as Jokey, yeah. which. I'm really emphasizing the j- j- sound because otherwise, <laughs> Joe Key, as I said last week, could very much be Wisconsin native Joe Key. Yeah. Key is 
in the politest sense possible a freak. Um, we can say that it's that's okay. I mean, yeah. we we are the only team and fan base in the NBA who can lay claim to a freak and in a very positive sense. Um. The books would be expanding upon their sort of collection of freaks of different nationalities if they did choose to draft Mr. Key. For those of you who don't know, he is seven foot two. He is only 218 pounds, though. Which, as Ty Windish pointed out when he profiled him, is I'm going to say 27, maybe 17, but it's quite a bit lighter than Chris Middleton weighs. Wow. Which, for a 7'2 guy who wants to be an NBA center, sounds like a bit of a problem. I even think Michael Carter-Williams weighs about 205. So, you're talking about someone who weighs Michael Carter-Williams-ish weight and is... Roy Hibbert slash Boban Marjanovic tall. Where we talked with some of the other guys, and I alluded to it earlier, where you can look at some players and it seems logical. You can see how they're going to fill out. You can see their frame is sort of... It's almost designed to just sort of bulk up a little bit as time goes on. He is definitely not one of these guys. He's got a nice range of skills, supposedly. Um, he was very successful in the Chinese Basketball Association this year. I'm going to say he led the league in blocks and rebounds. The only problem I have with that is I don't know how much of that is actually down to skill or just down to his size, which in China, just that height might make it a little bit easier for him. He might get away with that stuff just a little bit easier. Where, I mean, this was Ty's example, actually, back at the piece when he wrote it, but for all the flaws that we now know Greg Monroe has, if Joe Key has to guard Greg Monroe, that's a bloodbath. <laughs> Moose beats him down in the post. He'll drink his milkshake. <laughs> Oh, that's my favorite Jordan reference ever <laughs> on the Winning Six podcast. I might, I might have to do that Photoshop. Um, what are your feelings on Keith? Do you feel like he can fill out? Uh, have you seen or do you know enough of his skills? Is he worth the second round gamble? Many people, including Draft Express, have him going in the first round. Draft Express currently have going to the Spurs. I don't. I really don't. I know the Spurs often pluck players who are somewhat exotic. They don't necessarily go the traditional route, but I don't see this as a very Spurs-like move. Yeah, I, I think, like you said, he's he's very skillful. Um, he's so tall. Obviously, did pretty well for in the CBA. Pretty well. Very well. Um, it's just, again, what is going to happen? It's not even just the, the physical part about it. Um, how can he 
I don't I don't think he's even very well versed in English. So no, I'm helps. just I'm actually I'm on his draft express page at the moment and in their most recent notes on Zhu and they said his representatives expect to reach an agreement with the Chinese Basketball Federation to allow him to join the NBA in the near future and which should boost his draft stock further. The plan is for him to work with an English tutor in China, work out and focus on his nutrition to help him prepare for the rigors of the NBA. I mean, I don't know what... It's like, does he have to eat a full cow? I mean, to... What, what nutrition? Yeah, it's going to be the other way around, unfortunately. Moose is going to eat him. But what nutrition? I mean... Yeah. What can you tell this guy to make him NBA ready in any period of time? This is why I think it's sort of generous, but finding a role for him because he's skilled, you see this power forward slash center on a lot of profiles for what he is. He he can't be a power forward either, really. No. I mean, what is this guy going to do out near the perimeter? <laughs> I, I, I honestly just can't see how he fits anywhere. It's a real struggle for me. He will probably be the next great thing, and I will look back at this as one of the stupidest things I've ever thought for a long into the future. But I just don't see it. I can't figure any of it out. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I. Is someone gonna want to take that gamble in the first round? I did the, the type of teams. Like, I, I don't know who does though. I like I in the mock I put him at sixty, which is probably very extreme, and that's my very personal feelings. But part of the reason <laughs> for that was, I mean, okay, at sixty, I mean, you could take a gamble on anyone, literally anyone. If mm-hmm. some baseball player wants to. Enter the draft. I mean, that's they used to what the eight and ninth rounds were for in the old days. But at sixty, you could take the risk on anyone. And this year, the team with the sixty pick is the Jazz. And I thought the Jazz because okay, if this doesn't work out in any way, they've got Rudy Gobert. It literally doesn't matter. So why not? Let's take the risk. And if he miraculously fills out, or if he's just so skilled that it doesn't matter. Well, then perfect. I just don't see a whole lot of other teams like that. I mean, the Celtics are a good bet for any player who just seems like a big risk because they've got so many picks that they can take like four risks and have six picks left to trade and select real players with. That's barely even an exaggeration. Trying to do a mock draft when the Celtics are appearing, every second pick is hard work. Um, so they could take the risk, but I don't see a whole lot of teams. I mean, maybe the Sixers in the, the good old days, the hinky era, would have gone for a guy like Hugh Key. Little chance of it now. You know how this is going to end up. The books are going to draft Hugh Key. Um, I'm not, I don't see how he, how he fits the NBA. In other leagues around the world, he could be an MVP caliber player. But there's no league as physical and where the guys are quite as strong and as big as the NBA. And I just, I, I think he would be better off 
in in China, where he probably will be the best player in the league for many many years. Um, I understand he's got to come over. He's got to try it out and see how it goes. I just at present, I'm not so confident it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. Moving on from the draft, boy, have we got some free agency names. We'll start at the top. We'll get it out of the way. It's got to be done. We make this little rule most weeks that we won't talk about guys who are going to be out of reach financially um, because it's pointless. But we'll have to make the exception for uh, probably a couple of guys this week. The first one, the man most regularly linked with the books i'm gonna say over the past three to four months mr dwight howard i feel like there's so little to say here because we all know who dwight howard is as a basketball player believe it or not i don't think he's the boogeyman like so many people seem to fear i don't think dwight howard would completely kill everything that's currently good about the books and that's not me being swayed by his glorious publicity tour this summer (laughs) i actually you know i i feel that's not fair to i don't even think dwight could have put together the live intervention that he went through on tnt There's, (laughs) there's nothing staged about charles barkley attacking you on live tv um, when someone asks to your face why do they hate you why do people <laughs> hate you I mean that no one can script that perfectly I mean I feel like 30 years from now that will be like an Oscar bait movie in the same the same way that Frost Nixon was <laughs> the white chuck I can see it yeah. in terms of Howard Howard is an excellent fit for the books in terms of place um, so good in fact that he would be way out of their price range I mean this is a guy who I don't know how many all NBA teams he's probably been on down the years two time defensive player of the year I want to say maybe three three time defensive player of the year Oh really? Yeah. That was oh. I mean, what years? Um, three in a row, two thousand and nine through to two thousand eleven. Hmm. Four-time All Defensive First Team, one-time All Defensive Second Team. When we talk about this defensive center that the Bucks need, it doesn't get better than this guy, even if he's now starting sort of the downward slope in his career even if he's not quite as athletic, not quite as healthy, this is still the White Howard. I think people need to remember what that once meant. He hasn't been a part of the most rational, functional organization since he left that Magic team. Mm-hmm. None of this matters, though, because he's going to cost like $25 million at a discount, and the books don't have that. And if they do have that, they've done some bad things. And we can all be very, very sad for a very long time. Mm 
That is the name of Jordan's autobiography coming soon. <laughs> Sad for a very long time. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not about. I I know understand. Like you said, there's so many things surrounding the white, just his personality. He just he has a very like just. I mean, obviously, it's, it's no, overblown it, though because people hate him. And I, I, oh yeah, it's certainly I overblown. I grasp why people hate him. I don't hate the white at all. I don't. No. I don't get that. I, I actually used to quite like the white, and yeah. maybe it's because I was never quite in Kobe's camp. That nothing that happened in L.A. changed that for me. Of course, he didn't leave the Magic in the best of circumstances, but I mean, LeBron didn't leave. Cleveland in the best of circumstances and he's been forgiven Boy, to the Miami. point yeah but particularly Cleveland I mean he yeah. he's been forgiven to the point that he actually was able to go back so I just struggle to make sense of any of it even in Houston James Harden is not the easiest teammate to be around as irritating as the White's personality might be I mean when your best player which Harden is their best player, won't ride with the team to games when he drives the games himself. That is like... That's that diva good, behavior. Good teammate 101 is travel with the team. I mean, yeah. sit down the back and say nothing if you want, but travel with the team. If you don't travel with the team, how are they going to sort of feel like they're on the same level as you are, that you're a United group when you, when you go out onto the floor? It's just not going to happen. So there's, I hope that there's a good fit still out there for Dwight and there's many good years to come. And the reality and possibly where he comes from it as well, because all the soundings about it are that Dwight is certainly willing to come to Milwaukee if everything was right. Um, Which I can't blame him. I mean, if any, anywhere that would pay me a lot of money, I'd go there. But, it's fair going back to when the trade rumors sort of cropped up at the deadline to now even the talk of as a free agency target. He doesn't seem completely opposed to. Do you want to hear? According to. According to. A very famous announcer. Would. Can we, by, by the way. I was going to say, would it, would it help us to hear that in that announcement? Uh, I, I talked to Dwight, and he said that he... That, I don't think that was very good. That was, that was good. It started ropey, but it got there. Go on, you had uh, something urgent. I, I don't think we talked about it at the time, but I never heard a broadcaster talk about someone's uh, for, uh, upcoming free agent status or tr- possibly being traded or something like that. I've never heard them like shilling out like, oh, he loves it here. Like, like oh, we, we talked about game. We, we did about 20. That, this is how we got you to do your first uh, Ghost Johnson impression was I think we did about 20 minutes on this. But I, I, that's nearly a further extension of the whole way that people treat the white. That it's just like, yeah. 
everything he does and says is fair game. It's like, yeah, because any conversation that happened, if it did happen, was obviously sort of an understanding, maybe, you know, this is an off the record conversation. <laughs> I assume we're both around. <laughs> the game long enough not to have to start and end the conversation with we are now off the record and we are now on the record yeah. but I think with the white more than anyone that seems to be something that has to be done the problem is just for me it's price and it's, yeah. it's where the books are at if if this was two years down the line where things are much tighter for the books financially but everyone has developed two years more than they are now if jabari is fully realizes whatever he is yanis middleton then perhaps you say you know what let's pay the white crazy money let's go over the cap and play the luxury tax because if we have him for two years that that could be the piece that gives us our title the problem is for the books now they're gonna pay him at a point where it hinders what you can pay those guys i wouldn't feel comfortable paying him before you get to pay Jabari, for example. But paying him now, and if he's there for two years, say, and it doesn't quite work out, or he starts to fall off, then what was the point of it? I just don't think the books are ready right now to make the swing for defenses, pay that guy big money move. And I think by the time they are ready, he's going to be on the decline. So it just... In that sense, he's too expensive and it doesn't work out in the bigger picture. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it would have been a good what if about this was, or I just thought of like, say if he was a free agent last year after, you know, this crazy unexpected season and he... Same things that apply with him now with the Bucks, all the interest and all that stuff. What if it was last summer with the Bucks? How would you feel about Dwight coming to Milwaukee? I'd feel good about it. Yeah. I feel really good about it. I mean, if last summer you could have paid him, say, five million more. Because remember, he would have been working off a slightly lower max. Not quite that low, but that would have been closer to what his full value was five million more than what Greg Monroe got paid. So say Dwight was going to get paid 22 million, be there for two years, plus a player option for a third. Mm -hmm. I would have done it. Yeah. It just, <laughs> everyone would have think of the, I mean, it's, it's almost easier now to say all of the bad things about the white, because the books hooked a free agent in. Mm -hmm. where it's if Monroe had said no and gone to Portland or New York and say the books had got a one-year rental of someone I think people would feel differently about someone like the white giving real consideration to the books that would be the groundbreaking moment perhaps even more so than Monroe was but now we come from this point where a big free agent has come albeit not as big as Dwight Howard, but a big free agent has come. It hasn't worked out, so now people are more skeptical with every sort of detail of that type of move. Mm -hmm. I, I find it hard to get involved in that I want them here, I don't want them here, because I just don't think it makes sense. It shouldn't really be 
possible to happen. It is technically, but it doesn't set up very good decisions or decisions that they should want to make in the future if they do something reckless to go and get Dwight Howard. If they go get Dwight Howard, they're never going to have a good bench. So he needs to stay healthy and they need to be just as good as anyone could possibly imagine when he's on the floor. It's really pushing things to the limit and there's no reason for the books to do that. It's not worth their while. Yep. Totally. Moving on to the next guy. Someone who a month ago, maybe, although he was trending up to a point where it probably wasn't an option then, but a month ago would have been a very realistic and somewhat of an ideal candidate for the books at center. And this is the aforementioned brick-handed Bismack Biombo. <laughs> Bismack Biombo is probably going to earn Greg Monroe money this summer. Yeah. <laughs> The funny thing about that is if you said to me you can have you have this amount of money and you can have a center that fits your roster as well as Greg Monroe does or as well as Bismack Biombo does, although Biombo has less talent, it's a no-brainer. I'll pay him more because it's what the team needs. Yep, definitely. We've got to remember Biombo was a free agent last summer, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that's... That seems revisionist, but we discussed him around this time last year as a player who would seem to fit the books really well. He was on our equivalent of this podcast last summer. And if they had tied him down to, it would have been a much lesser deal. When you look at what he got, you probably could have offered him five years or four years, eight million you'd be. Four years, eight million last summer. Biombo doesn't think for a second he signs it and all of a sudden the center is tied down for 32 million in total and everything is everything is good I'm, in the world of books <laughs> where we are now though i don't think the books can this is like when we talked about before if monroe worked out the challenge the books would have is they couldn't really re-sign him if they wanted to without paying a lot of money Obviously, they could resign him because they'd have his rights, but it would get very dicey in a lot of ways. With that value that he's deserved with his play in the playoffs, it's well-earned. I don't think he's an option anymore for the books in terms of price, even if style of play is, once again, quite close to perfect. Yeah, I when I saw, I believe who was it, Sean Devaney? Yeah, um, Sporting News. Sporting News. I knew, I knew he was gonna. I had a feeling, like just if he threw out fifty mil, I was like, yeah, that sounds right. Seventeen knocked me off balance, though. Yeah, it's. It, just, I mean, it feels like it's pushing it. I, you'll remember last week when I said, no, you know what? I've reached a point where I feel like we're overvaluing Miles Plumley. No, we're not. <laughs> he, he's not going to make ten million. If Biombo's going to make seventeen million, I mean, <laughs> there's a chance. The one thing I would say, saying the Plumley case is in the book's favor, and you'll see as we go through our list here, 
there are a lot of good sort of mid-level free agent centers this year. There are probably enough to go around that some guys end up underpaid still, mm. even with the cap rising. Uh, but 17 million for Bismack Biombo, 17 million based off of one playoff series. Maybe that is still ridiculous because I'm trying to figure out who pays him that. Who says we need to give 17 million of our available salary space to this guy who blocks shots, rebounds, and will dunk from within one foot? I tell you what, it's not the Raptors. Even no, it's definitely not the Raptors. Masai Ujiri made comments today that he would like to keep him, and Biama made. <laughs> Said something about you think a hometown discount again. Yeah, discount his, this, at this point, his hometown discount is twelve million dollars. If he was feeling super generous, he's taking twelve million, and he could get five years, couldn't he? Because they have his rights, so he'd take an extra year and go cheaper. Am I wrong on that? Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I I don't know. Maybe they have the full bird rights to give a fifth year. Yeah. No, they don't. They do not own his bootruts. Okay. There's there's just really no way that the books can well there is a way. I mean the books could be the team that pays him seventeen million. But when there's, when there's, once a, again, will, there's a way once again it's forcing decisions that they shouldn't want a part of in the near future. Yeah. This is this is rough. I don't I don't like this. The fear is setting in for things the books could do this summer. Um, I mean, what if they're going to move the pick as part of like a Dwight Howard sign and trade where just to give him his super max, they go, okay, Rockets here, you have this. <laughs> I'm moving on. I'm depressing myself. Mm. Festus Azili. Festus Azili is going to be fair game this summer because I don't think the Warriors... I I feel like Durant at this point is probably going to stay in OKC. Mm. And even if he does leave, I'm still more inclined to say he'd think of going home because going home would mean going east. And if he falls short in this fashion in seven games, which you will know by the time you listen to this podcast. Um, but we are recording just as the game is about to start. If he falls short at this point and he feels it's not going to get better here, he's going to want to get to the Eastern Conference and avoid the Warriors, avoid having to get past the Spurs like they did in the future. I don't think that would be Golden State. But I do think... The Warriors are going to try to resign Harrison Barnes. I think they'll they'll go that extra mile to bring him back. With that in mind, then guys like Festus Azili are basically going to have to be sacrificed. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that he's going to come cheap. <laughs> He has proven himself to be very able in his time with the Warriors. I think anyone who has been a part of the Warriors for the past two seasons probably automatically gets a couple of million added onto their price tag. 
as a fit though, Azili is once again another guy who would work pretty well. I, the the thing with this, and a lot of you listening might think, well, wow, there sure does seem to be a lot of guys who fit what the books need well, considering the books don't have any of them at present. <laughs> and that's true in a way because they're not looking for anything that's too sort of overcomplicated or elaborate. They're basically, they don't even need a center who can really score the ball. No. They're, the books are a pro-rebounding team, so a good rebounder would be great. If they weren't, we'd probably deal with it and things would be the same as they were in that regard, and you'd settle for someone who was an elite defender and could maybe trail and transition and just finish some dunks. The demands aren't high here, and that's why there's a lot of options. What do you think the price range is for Azili? This this is the part where you try out a number and then I go, no, this is this is what happens every week. It's a little different with him because of two things. He's older an older player coming off a rookie contract than normal. He's gonna be twenty seven by the time next season starts. And secondly, he has a fair amount of injury, or not extensive injury history, but some worrisome signs for sure about um, past injuries. I would say he, even this year, he had a, was a torn meniscus, sprained MCL, something with his knee. Um, Uh, Maybe a sprained MCL. I'm not sure if he tore his meniscus, but yeah, there was an knee injury for sure. And he missed, did he miss a whole season? Yeah, he missed the entire 2014 season. I can't remember what. Maybe something. I'll look it up. I want to say it was a It's another one, though. At that point, nobody was saying Festus Azili is missing for the season. It's it's very much Biombo-esque over a slightly bigger sample size, but... I mean, do you... I'll let you name your price first, but do you even go to that price? Would you leave Azili alone with the injury history? Is he a guy who maybe looks better than he is just because he's been on the best team in basketball? That's something that would apply to a lot of players right now. Um, I'd probably go no. I think... Again, I'm going to bring this up. I just think he's kind of in that area, the John Henson area. I feel like a lot of his... It's a amount of John Henson's out there tonight, Jordan. Yeah, it's it's a shout-out, uh, I guess. I was going to say um, it's unnerving, but okay. <laughs> um, as far as a number or what I think he eventually gets... 12 million? 11 million? John Henson money? <laughs> Talking about another John Henson type figure? That's, a, that's actually less than I think you'll get. 
you think like 15? Maybe not quite that much, but I think 13. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't that, know. That, that was so gloriously dramatic. <laughs> um, my god. I didn't, yeah, I thought, man. We're going to need a bigger boat, I think, is the, <laughs> the appropriate way to, to follow that. clock strikes at midnight. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's move on. Let's move on from Azili. Yeah. A guy not dissimilar. Particularly, he's not a young player, particularly either. Um, Jan Mahimi. I think Yamahimi could be one of the candidates for someone who might get a little bit forgotten and maybe goes slightly underpaid. Would you be interested in Yamahimi? Yes. Um, he's always intrigued me as just a fan of basketball because he always I've always thought there's something there with him. I, even going back to when he was with Dallas for the championship team. Um, and as Zach Lowe is, I mean, Zach Lowe might be his biggest fan right now. He's certainly championed him a lot this season. Even, I want to say he put him top three in most approved player, maybe? I can't remember. Sounds about right. Um, there's a lot of things he does well. You know, rebounding, that's, again, big plus because for the Bucks, he's not his block numbers aren't crazy, but he, that doesn't mean he's not a bad defender at all. Um, obviously, I'm, being on those Pacer teams, those are great defensive teams, as we all know. Frank Vogel, you know, great coach, all that stuff. Um, I guess the one worrying thing for me is that he's 30. Or well, he's not 30 now, but he'll be 30 by the time next season starts. Um, and even this playoffs, or when they were against uh, the Raptors in the first round, saw him battling with back issues. and he, That's a little, little hairy for anybody wanting to go after a big man. But, again, he, I just feel like he... He's also a veteran. He's been in the league quite some time. He's smart. He's he knows def defensively. He does get in foul trouble occasionally, um, but he's he's intriguing. I think, like you said, I totally agree with you too. I think he kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit financially wise this summer, and some team whoever ends up taking him, maybe it's the Pacers again. You never know. Uh, they'll get him at a more premium price than some of the players that we've already, you know, discussed about getting. Is it the game. years that you're more afraid of with him because of his age then? <clears throat> yes. Yeah, definitely. So well, ideally yeah. you pay him a tiny bit more for a shorter deal and see how that goes. Maybe have a team option if you take that. I don't think any... Not a lot of guys take team options anymore. Um, it's, that's a, a phrase that's almost disappeared from from salary cap parlance, but something like maybe two or three years with a team option for another just so that you're not 
completely locked into it if the price was right. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Maybe thirty-three million over three years and include a player option, like you said. So John Hansen money. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah, yeah. There's a theme here. There's a theme, ladies and gentlemen. You know, if that's the sort of money we want to pay to the guy who's gonna start for the team, maybe we should try starting the guy who's been paid that money. Just an idea. Uh, is there any chance we see Hansen start this year? I think there's a I chance. mean, aside from everyone being injured. I think there's a chance. Uh, again, I think everything's so fluid with every, all the, the Bucks big man but Henson, really. And I don't feel I don't like know. there's anything. I don't. I don't feel like Kidd has shown anything in his time in Milwaukee to indicate that he feels Henson could be the starting center. Well, he has said that Henson's a basketball player. We, you know, <laughs> they appreciate, it. and he can wear the jersey. That's another plus, as he pointed out during the draft lottery. I feel like, and not to go too into this, in fact, not to go into it at all. But just to judge by things we've heard said in the press about him, John Hammond is a lot higher on John Henson than Jason Kidd is. Yeah. John Hammond's probably been the highest ha on John Henson any Bucks official or figurehead. Scott Skiles, Boylan, Larry Drew, Kid. Uh, yeah, it just seems... Hammond, Hammond is the guy who said that Henson was a part of the core last summer. It That wasn't Kid, that was John Hammond. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is sort of interesting and it it does leave you in this place where he's paid really good money and he's sort of contracted to be a part of the future because that's how the general manager sees him. And then even when healthy, the coach isn't giving him a ton of minutes because he mightn't value him quite in the same way. Let's not get lost down that rabbit hole just yet. More on that later. Mm, that's a tease. That's that's what the professionals we are. We are not them, but that's what no. the professionals in the business would term to be a tease. Yeah. Moving on from Yamahimi, a name that has not in any concrete way come up, but you see quite a lot amongst books fans is one Joachim Noah. Obviously, we all know what Noah is, who he is. Um, only, was it two or three seasons ago now that he was in the MVP mix? Two years ago. Just that two years ago. That seems so bizarre, considering that I think the Bulls and him will very happily part ways. Um, but he hasn't looked that same player recently. Definitely... Without Tom Thibodeau, he hasn't looked the same. Um, 
Then, on the other hand, his body has been feeling the effects like many people who play for Tom Thibodeau do. Mm. I mean, what is what is Noah's value this summer? What do you pay Noah at his age with his injury history? Wow. I don't think I've ever thought about that yet. I don't know. <laughs> I think on name value alone, some team will still pay him. Yeah, if if you well, someone, I, I, some team has to. I, if you strike out a little, say, and you're rebuilding, and you want to bring in a name, keep the fans happy a little bit, or at least talking about something, he would seem like that sort of guy. We talk about this with some people over the last few weeks, but it's interesting to look at guys' salary history and try to trend it. And generally it's sort of accepted that most players are going to trend up this year. Noah's coming off a year where he earned 13.4 million. Now 31 only played 29 games last year. Uh, he is, yeah. I, um, I don't know. I, I don't. I really don't know what he, he could pull out. Does he even start? I think for the I books, mean, for the books he'd start. If you, I mean, if you get, yeah. if you get a healthy, engage Noah for eighty-two games, he's can you though though. We're only like one season away from that. Yeah. I mean, I, I still don't think, I don't think it's impossible. It's just, it's probably unlikely. But if you did get that, you're looking at an all defensive team caliber player. Yeah, but I feel like, like he's, I feel this like... isn't just any defender, any center. I feel like the same. There's different circumstances, of course, but I feel like this is like the same kind of thing things that people were talking about with Roy Hibbert last season, or even the year before. Um, kind of talking about well, he was a defensive player, you know, high caliber all star guy. I, I don't think Hibbert was. I don't think Hibbert was ever as good as Noah. Hibbert. No. Hibbert was always like. Uh, a product of the system and the players around them. Like having David West beside Hibbert was a big help. Then when that team had all the dynamism that Paul George and at that time Lance Stevenson brought to the table, the high IQ of George Hill at point guard, that was sort of a perfect storm for Roy Hibbert. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't get much better than that and never will for him in his career. Oh, it's certainly for for Noah. I mean, you have things like his passing ability, say, thrown the mix. He's just he's a very good, well-rounded basketball player. Very smart, a real driving force on a team as well. Like in the books capacity, where we've talked about leadership on so many occasions. I mean, if you pay 
Noah, he's your leader. Mm -hmm. He's a very vocal, a very animated character. So he'd be your leader. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know how he'd feel about playing in Milwaukee. We know his feelings on cities that are not maybe considered major cities. We know there's no danger of him going to Cleveland. <laughs> the answer is probably Henson money again. Yeah. <laughs> As much not, not to be boring here, but roughly in and around that price range, if you could structure it in a sort of In a way where the value is going to decrease year on year, maybe you're paying more to begin with, bring it down, it can make sense, but I wouldn't want to get tied up in years with Noah this summer. Yeah, I don't know what old sticks is going to get, but I really don't know. <sighs> Moving on. This was a player who I included on our list this week, and now that I'm here, I'm not not 100% sure why. I get the general sense of it, but compared to the company we're keeping this week, it's a bit more exciting this week in terms of name value. But I'm talking about J.J. Hickson. Hickson is interesting as he has... His role has fluctuated so dramatically throughout his career. He's bounced from team to team. Getting a read on exactly who he is can be tricky. He's a little undersized. He's probably really a power forward. But then you have a look at, say, not last season, but the year before. With the Nuggets, he averaged 11.8 points, 9.2 rebounds in 26.9 minutes. Like, he's a good inside player, solid defender, not a lockdown defector, defender, not big enough really to be the rim protector that you might want him to be. But he will score inside and he rebound well. Another guy who is definitely going to be underpaid. What would you say to, or how would you feel about J.J. Hickson? I'm going to say he is a good option if you're moving on from Plumlee, you're moving on from Monroe, and you need another second-slash-third-choice center, maybe. I don't think he's the starter. No. If you're, if you're signing like J.J. Hickson to start him, had a riot in the street to get John Henson an audition for the starter's job. <laughs> um, I'm not a big fan. I think I think he does have some skills that fit with what the Bucks need. Obviously, he's a solid rebounder. Um, he's not best defensively, like you said. I just don't. 
If you're if you're gonna go after a free agent center, don't sell yourself short. Uh, Jordan, you you sound like you've got caught up in the the free agent fever, the, well, I, the free agent <laughs> destination now. I just I think you're you're too good for the JJ Hicksons of this world. Yeah, I'm too good, man. Uh, <laughs> I just think if you're if you're throw out seven million dollars for a year or something, if you're gonna pay that for JJ Hickson, I rather see the Bucks go a little higher for a guy that I feel like could fit a lot better, and certainly you'd rather see the seventeen million for Bismack Biombo. I th- I think I would honestly, even though. No, I, I get that because at least they're doing something. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> at least you're you're right. You're gonna have to worry about down the line when down the line comes. But in the meantime, you could be confident that the team is gonna be able to do some things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I included JJ Hickson. We'll move on. <laughs> The next guy might be just so underrated to the point that he becomes overrated and multiple teams swarm to him thinking, this is the guy we can get cheap this summer. I am talking about Orlando's Dwayne Deadman. Deadman is a legitimate seven-footer, really strong physical center, has never averaged more than 14.3 minutes for a season. Has just finished his third year in the league. So his per game numbers are pretty modest, to say the least. He is a strong inside finisher, though. If you're looking for someone who isn't going to get in the way, isn't going to look to be too much of a... Hashtag busy buzzy with the ball. <laughs> They're just going to pick up the passes you drop off to them. Finish and get on with their business. He's that type of guy. He is simply so big that he's going to cause you problems when he's playing defense just because he's an obstacle, if nothing else. Um, I quite like Dwayne Dedman. For last season, just to give you an idea, and he did get a slightly bigger role with the Magic towards the end of the year, I want to say. Um, But for 36 minutes last year, he averaged 13 points, 11.6 rebounds, 2.3 blocks. How do you feel about Deadman? What sort of price range would seem reasonable to you? Hmm, reasonable. Reasonable. Forget reasonable, actually, because reasonable probably doesn't exist in this world where yeah. Biombo makes seventeen million. Um, realistic. 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 <laughs> Sorry, I did that for fun. Jordan is nothing if not consistent. <laughs> consistent. Um, I'll go real. Oh. <laughs> Nine million. 
I say let's do it. Let's sign up the papers. I mean, he's fodder. Dude. He's fodder for me. Just making puns about dead man, yeah, dead man, or Dwayne, or you know. I mean, <laughs> I want to hear the Dwayne. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, nine million. Anyone you can get for that who could be your fit. That's like, that's the equivalent of getting Biombo last year and tying him down. Potentially. I, I just think you've got to do that. I don't know if he would even be on the book's radar if they would consider a player who, in many ways, is, I guess, as limited as Deadman is. Mm. But... They should. He seems like a player that if he stays with the Magic, Frank Vogel is just going to turn him into some Hibbert? Con- concoction of Hibbert or Mahindy or yeah. name any big that has played for lately. Um, Shane Whittington. Shane. <laughs> exactly. Shane Whittington. <laughs> Old Shane with a Y. I don't understand that. Um, yeah, I, I think actually now that I think about it, I think nine million is still kind of a. I mean, it's definitely a reach. I, I don't think that. I think someone. I think it ends up being a lot lower. Oh yeah, he he can go cheaper, but I think I'd be prepared to go there. Just longer term, when we talk about the money that's coming down the line, and we look at the books trying to build a full roster, not just. Yeah, six or seven guys. It's like, well, you're gonna have some stars who aren't like max level or just below max level players. That's how you're gonna build a squad that's good overall. So they don't need a whole lot for their center. The way they're set up, the way they they should play, and I think that's a universal thing. That's how the fans feel now. It's the way the front office and the coaching staff seem to feel and it's rare that there's a clear agreement that way but everyone knows it doesn't have to be this sort of center driven offense where heavy usage from that player is going to dominate how they play it's more important that Yanis Jabari and Middleton get their touches even insert point guard here he needs to get his touches too I'd, I'd be prepared to overpay a guy like Deadman and see how that goes this summer. Because, importantly, remember, John Henson is paid, and he's he's there. He's still around. Mm-hmm. So they might not want to start him, but he's not. Henson is not this bad player who would make things fall apart. Not, not in any way. The team probably does better with him than it does with Monroe as a starter, if only Henson could stay healthy. So... I think that's the positive part of the Henson deal that maybe doesn't get talked about a lot heading into the summer, but he is he is the insurance. They do have the freedom that they can sort of take a risk maybe on someone who is at an earlier point in their career, their development, see how that goes. And if it doesn't work out, the fallback is John Henson. That's a pretty solid fallback to have as it's someone who could still improve a little bit as a player in their own right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Moving on. 
this one doesn't need a whole lot of talk. But once again, if the books do a do a full sort of turnaround the center where they move on from not only Monroe where he gets traded away, but they also let Miles Plumley walk at whatever offer that comes in. How would you feel about Boban Marjanovic as the book's third slash second string center? Old Bobby, as uh, Steve, Stephen Adams likes to call him. Um, I'm, I don't have Boban fever, let's say. Uh, I think he's fine. I think he's a giant. <laughs> he literally is a giant. He's like if if Joe Key was actually like the proper size for his body. Yeah. For his height. And who wouldn't draft that guy? Jordan Tresky wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Um uh, I, I feel like he's kind of more popularized because of basketball Twitter internet basketball internet culture just because he is like this uh, I want to say Popovich got upset about that at some point and made the point of can we stop talking about him like he's a freak he's a really good basketball player yeah I, I th- I can't remember. I think you. I think that sounds right. I think he. I think he's pretty skilled. Like beyond all the just endless jokes and the appeal from, I was gonna say visual, but maybe a visceral perspective. <laughs> um, I I think he has got a solid range of skills. He's got a decent touch, and. Um, that's probably a little bit easier when your hands are like when they swallow the basketball. So it's just sort of reaching out and dropping the ball in. <laughs> it's like putting like I'm not... a cookie in a cookie. <laughs> it's a little bit like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you don't want Boban as a third string point guard, you're not a lot of fun. That's not directed at you, Jordan, although it may apply to you. Yeah. Timofey Mozgov. It feels a little bit like when the Cavaliers pl- paid that insanely high price to bring Mozgov in. Which I think it was like two first round picks to the Nuggets. Two first round, but I think they, one eventually ended up. Did one end up going to like Memphis? Uh, I don't know. I think one conveys this year. I think. Oh, maybe oh, not. Maybe not a first. I just think they might have a second this year. Um, I don't know. We're we we're, we're not prepared to go down that road, so we shouldn't do it. But. It feels to me that when Cleveland made that move, they were looking for a player exactly in the mold of what the books are looking for now. Mm -hmm. They needed sort of a strong commanding physical presence inside and much like 
where Milwaukee are, they had extremely talented players on other parts of the court. So they didn't want someone who was going to get in the way. And it might not have worked out quite as well from this year. Although part of that was probably down to others seizing their roles more, like Tristan Thompson, like Kevin Love, playing much better than he did last year. But last year, Moskov was a revelation. I mean, if you remember Moskov in the playoffs last year, I can remember photoshopping a Moskov banner hanging from the rafters in the Quick and Lounge Arena. That's, that's how good Timothy Moskov was last year. I wonder, has the whole Cav side of things added a little bit to his value? At the same time, he is a little bit older. He's been around a while. How would you feel about Timofey Moskov? I'd be a little concerned because I think his drop-off this year, like you said, it was a lot of it was depending on others seizing roles like, you know, Thompson especially Chetty Fry. Um, but he also had a very – he certainly wasn't I, – I, there was like a lot of reports about him coming into the season hurt, entering training camp, like barely playable, even by like a playoff standard where, you know, everybody's playing hurt. But that's entering the season. Obviously, that's just a situational thing. And – yeah, but yeah. Um, but he is. I again. I feel like he is going to get lost in the shuffle because there's certainly other more attractive big man this summer. <sighs> hmm. I think he'd be. I think he is. Would be a solid pick for the Bucks. Uh, I don't. As far as price raise goes. Ooh. Probably around like nine, ten million, maybe Henson money. Like I mean, his drop off came more in minutes than anything else because per thirty six, his numbers twelve point nine points, nine point one rebounds, one point five blocks. I wonder, I actually, now that you mentioned it, I wonder if that, a lot of that had to do with uh, the obvious coaching change. Because obviously he was brought in, Blatt coached the Russian national team, or mm-hmm. was, and I could be wrong here, but I believe, was Mozgov on one of the teams that Blatt coached? He might have played for Blatt beforehand. Yeah. Because um, I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe that had to do with some of it too. You never know. Um, it just feels like, for sh- I'm not definite, but it just feels like he is not going to be a part of Cleveland next year. And I don't th- obviously they have a crazy, crazy financial uh, uh, budget to kind of that restricts them from doing so. Yeah, I don't think Black coached them at a club level. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, he was a coach with the Russian national team from 2004 through to 2012. Um, so, I don't know when 
Mozgov would have made his debut for the Russian team, but he turned pro back in 2004. So that's majority of his pro career. <laughs> Blatt was the coach of his national team. So, yeah, there's definitely a connection in that sense. I quite like Mozgov. Let's say, obviously, he's about to turn 30. He has had his injury problems. So, once again, it's a guy you'd be careful with in terms of years. There's a lot about him, though, that feels very, very like, say, what Zaza brought to the books last year. I don't know why he couldn't replicate that. That would be a little bit of a regression from where he once was, but I think that's enough. I think he could fill that role. Um, would probably cost more than Zaza. He will cost more than Zaza. But mm. age is on his side in that one. So you're probably prepared to take more of the chance on him as opposed to bringing back Zaza and going, okay, we need you to be that guy again and to be that guy for a couple of years. So... I quite like the idea, Moskov. We talked about who Moskov could be. Now let's talk about the man himself. The legend that is Zaza Pachulia. It's not so secret that I have a very deep love for Zaza Pachulia. How deep is your love? So, very deep. There you go. Um, so I, w- I would like to see Zaza back in some capacity, not to be the team starter. That wouldn't be very clever. But I definitely think he has something to offer. would be nice to see him as a part of the books again. Unfortunately, I don't think it's a reality, and it's something that's really stupid, but Zaza really didn't like that whole treatment he got from the Cream City Clash way back when. I I think that had a really, a really big impact. Maybe now, months later, and things have cooled down, that would be different, but... I don't feel like I'm over-exaggerating and saying he didn't take that very well. He did not. Are all bridges burnt there? Maybe. I don't know. Can something like that repair? I don't know. Which, I mean, in all seriousness, aside from any feeling I have for Petulia, it's, it's a pity. Like, I mean, he was a pretty good servant for the franchise he's a really likable character something of a cult hero in his time in Milwaukee and then like just for nothing okay might be a little bit of an overreaction on his part but you understand why he'd not quite get why he was getting that treatment I don't think that's something you've seen a lot of different teams where any sort of chanting in that vein is reserved for players who used to play for the team and serve them well. That's normally for people you don't like too much. A Gary Neal, if you will. 
And as Zaza Pachulia. I mean, Gary, Gary Neal is a prime candidate for that sort of treatment. Yeah, he's uh, a go-to. Gary Payton back in the day. Maybe if we just savor for guys named Gary. Gary. Uh, oh, no, there's another one on the tip of my tongue. Gary. Oh, oh man. Give me a second. Save it for Gary Payton too, which I know <laughs> still, still cracks Jordan up. But Gary Payton too by association, just save it for him. Um, I would not rule out Gary Payton too getting a tough time in Milwaukee, just by association. Zaza still has a lot of what the books need, but it's fading. Um, his. Incredible first half of the season was matched by an equally disappointing second half of the season with Dallas. And that doesn't bode very well for what his future probably is. If you could get him cheap, if he's going to be your third choice guy, I think you try. I just don't know if he would be that interested in coming back at this point. Moving on, we've just got two free agents left. One we mentioned earlier. Roy Hibbert. I think a guy who perennially draws size from collective collective fan bases when they have to think of the idea of him playing for their team. But I wonder, has that effect rubbed off so much and then playing for the Lakers doesn't exactly boost your value at the moment. If Hibbert could be got quite cheap, considering his history, I don't feel like he has declined as a player. I feel more he has seen the situations around him fall off in quality dramatically like with the same type of group that he had back then in indiana and granted that was a very special group that was a legitimate contender and a conference finals team but with that sort of talent i don't feel like he would ultimately look that different now he didn't have athleticism to begin with really he's just He's a size guy. That's that's <laughs> his biggest tre- his biggest strength is the fact that he's big. Um, I disagree a little bit. I do. I think you're spot on with supporting cast. Obviously, with the year Indiana had after Paul George's you know terrible injury, they just. It was a weird kind of year, and the fact that they were just a game away from going to the playoffs says a lot about that team and just fighting through impossible odds to even make it to the playoffs. But I, there's just a lot of – there's a lot of stuff – I don't know. There's just a lot of things that worry me about him, not even just – long term just even like next season and i was I, I will admit too i i did think that oh if the bucks were you know i guess 
got the short end of the stick last year in free agency, he would have been a solid guy, I thought, for them to go after. But uh, knowing or seeing this year with Monroe and how I feel like he isn't – they're different players, but they're both similar in the fact that they need to play slow. They can't play fast. And I just feel like that – never mind whatever else you think of him, that fact alone – it just I, – I feel like it would be a bad fit. Um, you, you won me over completely on that one because I was I was thinking about his defense and what he brings there and possibly even some leadership and all of those things are positive. But you're right. You wouldn't get that sort of – once again, it was the energy Plumley brought and the ability to get out and run with the most athletic guys in the roster. And that was something really important and something opposing teams struggled to cope with when the book's – broke it out so yeah you'd have none of that and that makes it a not so great option yeah okay no Roy Hibbert that was easy <laughs> Ty's been a Roy Hibbert protector for quite a while so might have been a little more debate but no to Roy Hibbert last and sort of not least is Jason Thompson. Um, of course, was waived in the middle of the season, ultimately picked up by the Raptors, did get some minutes in Jonas Valanciunas' absence for a period of time. It's I, I find Jason Thompson one of the strangest situations in the league, as in he was so productive in Sacramento for quite a long time, even though he never really got that starter's role maybe there's parallels to john henson here um but in the time since going to the warriors didn't really work out well for him he was in philly for a while that doesn't work out well for anyone things just fell off in a pretty sudden way but i don't think his ability is that much less than it was He's still relatively young. What sort of price would you say to Jason Thompson and what sort of role do you think he's capable of? Where in the where in the center depth chart would you want Jason Thompson to fall? I think as far as price goes, probably go around Five million a year, or say like three. That's not a lot. It's not a lot. True, but I think I think he's kind of that third center. I feel like I feel like his. Uh, I don't know. It just it felt weird that the Warriors kind of come in with him. I don't. Maybe it was that he didn't gel. There was other factors that we just don't know about. But when he played for the Raptors, and I might be a little biased here, but I, I feel like he was a great contributor, and he did show – he shot the reporters, which I don't think anybody really knew they could do. He's never showed it in the past. Um, 
I know. I, he's still, like you said, where he's going to be 30 by the time next season starts. I think 29. I think 29-ish, Um, I just feel he kind of, given where he was in Sacramento a long time, bad situations, unfortunately for him, for a long number of years, he wants to kind of, I think he could fill that veteran type role and play very good in limited minutes. Maybe... Uh, I don't know. Again, it's a lot of it is dependent on Bucks big man situation, but I, I certainly see that with him. If he could be got for five million, like I mean, I'd struggle not to see a reason. Or I'd struggle to see a reason not to get rid of Greg Monroe, turn down Miles Plumley, and and do a sort of Deadman Jason Thompson combo for 14 million and have John Henson there with them and have so much more money than you dreamed of having available for the rest of your roster. And you'd probably get everything you need out of the center spot. Mm. Yeah, I, I think, I know. I, I think he just gets lost in the shuffle. I think, with the names that we talked about, and there are going to be a couple names for trade targets that I think potentially could get moved. He, he kind of gets that, I don't know. I, I just feel like it's around that, even with the cap growing, all this stuff. His role could be really good. He's certainly not the starter anymore. I don't, maybe he never was when he was in Sacramento. Um, but by they obviously had to start him due to the situation, back tell and all that stuff. I feel like he can play a perfect third center role, maybe 15 minutes a night, foul trouble, whoever, you know, could end up playing more. Um, he can also there, play at the four. He played quite a bit at the power forward spot, and it's not even quite like you're just going to this sort of you don't have to make a big deal out of going to a too big lineup with him because he does have a bit of range with a jump shot. So he can play a little like a traditional power forward as long as obviously the matchup wasn't a really small guy who's playing sort of a small forward trying to stretch the floor. I'd be very interested if he comes at that price. I just, as much as I don't, as I don't like to think really that prices are going to go quite as high as maybe we're speculating at the same time. I don't know if a guy like Jason Thompson's still going to go as low as that on the market when everyone has this much money. Um, moving on from free agents. It's somewhat appropriate that we're going to start off with a trade target who Although Jordan and I are both feigning to give all of you and each other our full attention, um, we've both been watching and have an impressive first half in Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals. Uh, we're now talking about my new... I feel, this is, I feel this is a bold announcement, but my new favorite player... Um, I may be a little behind here, but he's just flattened Draymond Green on my screen. 
um, which I mean gets a thumbs up for me. Uh, <laughs> but Stephen Adams is the man I'm talking about in that very long-winded way that was also distracted by the game. If you didn't believe me to begin with, Stephen Adams is probably my favorite player in the NBA now. The I Kiwi love, Phenom. I love pretty much everything about his game. I love just how Kiwi he is. I don't I don't know how much exposure you you guys in general, I don't know how much exposure Americans have to New Zealand. Flight of the Concords. Which is about as good as it gets. I mean, that's the oh, peak yeah. New Zealand. Yeah. But say in here where rugby would be a much bigger thing, that's obviously the dominant sport in their culture. To see a lot more of them, and generally they are pretty great personalities in the sense of they are so direct and sort of down the line and straight talking. Stephen Adams is exactly what you expect him to be, except he has his own little edge, which is something interesting. As a basketball player, I mean, he's looked good since his early days, but he really has developed in a way that I think not many people would have expected. He's become the perfect fit for what Oklahoma City needs which probably doesn't bode well for the conversation we're about to have. He may not be a guy that you have any chance of getting this summer, for example. But if OKC re-sign Kevin Durant, pay him all that money, by the time Adam's contract extension comes up, which I want to say he'd be a restricted free agent next summer, yep. they may not be able to afford him. So, he could be a player that, say, middle of next year, they might have little choice but to try and look for something or that you could steal a year down the line. I, I think he is, he is perfect. It's probably the best case scenario for what the books get at center is Stephen Adams. What's your take on that? Is he someone that if you couldn't get this summer if you weren't happy that you had all of your options nailed down, you'd monitor his situation quite closely and see what happens. Or does his current level of importance, what he's become, does that make it near impossible that he's ever going to be within Milwaukee's price range, considering the other players they have on the roster? I think it's the latter. Jordan. Um, yeah, not to be a party pooper. Um, I just don't see even say even things go Durant stays another season does a one plus one or something like that I just feel like they're gonna they're gonna move someone else there's gonna be an odd man out that's I would have more money on them pushing out Abaka or Abaka game paid a lot more money than Steven Adams. I just don't know. Bucks don't even have any assets that I, I don't think OKC would be interested. 
picks are, I mean, they dealt so many picks the last couple of years. They don't clearly have any interest. They don't have immediate players that they need, that the Bucks have under contract at least. Uh, I just, I don't see it. And it's a shame because I think he, like you said before, I think he's, I think he's like the ideal fit. And I think it's, I think he, any of these guys we've talked about, whether it's strapped or free agents, I think you're trying to find a guy that could do what Steven Adams does. You're trying to find the next Steven Adams. Yeah. And in free agency, you're trying to find the next Bismarck Biombo in last year's sense, but tie him down to a longer contract. Like, I mean, these are the guys who they're going to get overpaid now. It's the same we talked about in other weeks. It's about finding the next Kent Bazemore on the wings rather than maybe paying <laughs> this Kent Bazemore the money that he probably won't live up to. The and next Jared Bayless. Or, yeah. <laughs> well, let's not. Let's calm down. There. <laughs> but this is, this is what the NBA has become with the salary cap constantly rising. It's this game of cat and mouse where if you don't get ahead of the curve and get lucky with the guy and tie them down, it gets very, very difficult very quickly. I still like to think that, who knows, maybe as a restricted free agent, there'd be something there you'd try, but he's, he's going to command quite a lot of money unless next season doesn't go to plan for him. You suffer some injuries. Maybe something happens in a way Maybe where... Maybe injured at this point, though. I mean, we've seen him go through, like, hell. And he just gets up and I think he can. I think he can, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, it's funny, as we're talking about this, I've watched, maybe it's two of the last three possessions, not the last two. Both have ended up in made baskets for the Warriors, but they have involved him giving really strong contests on Clay Thompson and Stephen Curry around the three-point line. And it's... That's what we were talking about. That's even when we mentioned a guy like Anuaku. It's the ability to do that and then be the solid inside presence as well. It's so rare, but it's so valuable that you know if a switch comes about, you don't have to panic. He's sort of capable of standing on his own two feet in so many ways. Let's hope the books can find some guy in that mold if it is not Stephen Adams, as heartbreaking as that might be. Another favorite of mine, a deal the books or many other teams should have tried to get done about a year ago, maybe a little bit more. Minnesota's Gorgie Jang. He became a more important role player, and I think the Timberwolves put a little bit more value on him at center towards the end of last season. But in the long term, I'm still sort of inclined to see Carl Anthony Towns playing a center for them. Particularly with the way the league is moving. Like, I, I think he's got all the size, he's got the strength. It's not like you have to worry about him dealing with the physicality of it. It's great if you can protect them, you protect them. But ultimately, it will make sense for them to play him at the center spot. And that's going to negate the need for Gorgie Zhang. 
They have Nikola Pekovic, who, as much as they'd like to move him, they won't without probably waiving him, which there could be some sort of buyout agreement longer term there. That could be something that comes about. But they don't really need Gorgie Jang in the bigger picture. He would help them for sure right now. You just wonder, is there a deal that could tempt them? Is there a deal that benefits both parties? Hmm. For, uh, before we do that, before we do that, I suppose it's nearly redundant to do this because most of the players we talked about fit the same mold. But he's another guy, once again, from that defensive point of view, also a really strong rebounder. He'd be a very good fit for what the books should be looking for. Yeah, definitely. Um. Well, I feel like this is probably a good time to mention that, say if there were a trade for a certain... No. <laughs> I mean, you've got to give me everything. What, what, explain explain what that trade is. How does he factor into that trade? I have no idea. You just, wanted, you just wanted to bring Ricky Rubio into this. That's all you no, to do. I just feel like I, I feel like if there's any trade that brings Gorgie Gorgie Jang, there we go. Oh. Um, a certain Ricky Rubio is coming to Milwaukee. <laughs> Not to annoy you, I'm just saying I just don't I don't know. But even that doesn't work in terms of salary. I don't. I don't see how that they move in those directions as part of that deal. I know it's it's the obvious deal between both teams will involve Rubio, it seems. But I just don't know. I don't know what happens that the books are getting Rubio and Jang, and then what are. What are the books giving up salary-wise for that to happen? They have no salary. Most of the guys who they could have traded in that sort of deal are gone. Are they? No, I'm, <laughs> I'm joking. Um, I don't know. I, but you say these things, and I agree. But when it comes to the Bucks, anything can happen, and anything will happen. So... Let's get away from that. Um, as far as a just a trade with him, I, I just don't know. I think a lot of it centers on what they want to do with Rubio. Um, I personally would not like them to trade Ennis. I like Ennis. Um, I mean, what I what are we what are we talking about here, Jordan? Because well, I mean, are you saying I'm you just... would if there was an Ennis for Gorgie Jang trade straight up? Uh, Ennis and a second rounder. You're not doing that deal. No. I'm not. Oh my god. I. Just... <laughs> Hi, my... Johnny O'Brien. I. I I'm sorry. I I just I feel like they're is a long-term future for Tyler Ennis in this basketball city. Um, I don't know. Michael Carter-Williams? 
Remember, remember, Tom Thibodeau makes the decisions in Minnesota as well now. So I don't know. Well, you never know. Stupid he is. <laughs> he did his last uh, playoff series victory was against the Bucks when they had had Mike Carr Williams. He played very well in that series, and to be fair, yeah. he tormented Derrick Rose and Aaron Brooks. And Brooks and in the post anytime he had a chance of them. Yeah. So, Happened though, so don't let Jordan's <laughs> Jordan's Jordan ways speak around. Oh, well, I was just—I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just saying—is that the? That's probably the only player that they. I can make they, there must be another player that they're interested. In. If Michael Carter Williams is the only player they might be interested, in, <laughs> you think they're interested in a guy like David Inglis? Come on, come on, that. But there's definitely no one, I will say, no one is going to give up a Gorgie Jang caliber of player for Damian Inglis. Mm. Nobody else wants the books. I was going to say table scraps, but that might be too kind. (laughs) Moving on. I've included this guy, but I'll probably just skate past because it won't happen. Ed Davis would be really nice as a book is what I'm wanting to say here. But his mm-hmm. contract is so good that I don't know. For the Timberwolves to trade him. Blazers. Sorry, Blazers. Doesn't happen, does it? No. Unless it's a deal involving the big tree, you don't get him. So let's forget about Ed Davis. Last but not least, our own Dan Larson wrote about this this week. Uh, he is a player who is at least very publicly on the market. The Philadelphia 76ers are rumored to be interested in moving one of Nerland's Noel or Jaleel Okafor. But of course, not the untouchable Joel Embiid. I find this fascinating that Hinky is gone now. And this supposedly more win-now-focused front office still won't. They want to trade one of the two other guys and not Embiid. Maybe they just feel Embiid has no trade value, but it sort of blows my mind. And at the same time, fascinates me so much as in do they have some sort of lost in B tapes that they watch and his talent seems... it's just him it's just him like oh never mind I was gonna go another way <laughs> where were you gonna make a joke about him a lost uh no but no I was trying to think like Jordan there. didn't get yeah. me far. Um, I, have a, I have a mystery wrapped in a ripple. Much like Lost. Yeah. 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. <laughs> that's, that's the opposite scale of Jordan's references where it's not a reference. He just spits the numbers out. Just think of people who haven't watched Lost who have listened to that part of the podcast, Jordan. What are they going to... They actually they'll they won't be surprised. Yeah. They probably think I'm some like French lady 
that's lost at sea. It uh, speaks in a code. If if all of Jordan's references hit with you, none of them go over your head. Tweet at us. Hashtag Jordan references yes. <laughs> if they don't, hashtag Jordan references no. Genuinely, I want to know how many of you Jordan's references actually register with. Nerlens Noel is a really good fit, much like most of the guys we talked about tonight. But much like most of the guys we talked about tonight, there are reasons why it seems like something that isn't ever going to be very likely. Do you agree with that? Yes. Very much so. Um, yeah, I... I have a, I, it's just a weird feeling about this rumored, it's long rumored obviously with Okafor, but just the Noel thing kind of, I, I, I wasn't prepared to see that they might, even just might entertain um, him being traded. Uh, I don't know. It's I, it's a weird situation, in my opinion. I just feel like they obviously want to go. The Sixers want to go win now. They want to move forward. But what what is some team going to float out there to grab Noel? They're not going to give up a proven player. What is it? This sounds like the most abstract basketball thought ever, but what is an asset to the Philadelphia 76ers now? Yeah, exactly. Really? That's I mean, they've got, they've got all these young players. They've got the first overall pick. They've got so many future picks still to come. It's like, what do you actually... Like, can you get players cheaper from them? Because... The value of picks is probably lesser for them than anyone else because they've got so many of them and they want to win in a hurry. So do they take a lesser player who's more proven because it might just accelerate the process? I don't... Bad choice of words there. I didn't mean to say process. But it's such a strange situation because if you had... Like, if the Bucks offered them 10 and, I don't know, it's the Bucks don't have another player to offer, like, in that sort of realistic sense. But say if say if Michael Carter-Williams hadn't been there and all that hadn't happened before, like, a 10 and Michael, Michael Carter-Williams deal, there are lots of teams where 10th overall pick, let's be very generous and describe Carter-Williams as former rookie of the year, Michael Carter-Williams, that would seem like a nice package, right? But the Sixers would go, why why would we want the tenth overall pick? We're about to get Brandon Ingram or Ben Simmons here. I mean, why would we care about that? We've already got one of Okafor or Noel, whichever we don't trade. We have Embiid if he ever gets healthy. 
Then you even have guys like, say, Robert Covington, Hollis Thompson, Jeremy Grant. Cap space to sign free agents. It's it's truly... I, I just... I don't know what... I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I really They've don't know. They've won so they many trades that it seems... It seems difficult for them to win trades now because it's like they've come out on top so many times that what is a win for them now? They're more, they're nearly in a place that you only find teams who are pushing for titles and things as in that win now mode, even though they're so far away, but they have such a dramatic shift to make in thinking that it takes a bit of that now. Yeah. Strange place. I, I can't, I can't put my finger on what his value is. The one thing I'd say is he's a very good fit for the books, but he's not as good a defender as people seem to think he is. I know this is something that Sixers beat writers and bloggers regularly talk about. He's a good rim protector, but that doesn't necessarily translate to him being a good defender yet. He should be. He gets plenty of steals. He gets plenty of blocks but there's a whole lot that goes on aside from what shows up in the box score on defense. And Noel does have a little bit of work to do still in that department. Um, still... yeah, he's no, even though he's he's called the Nerland Wall, he's no... Um, so that, that would be fair. Um, a fair statement. Yeah, I, I don't think it's possible anyway, aside from any of that, because... He's going to be due his extension very soon, and the books won't have that money. Unless they're trading someone who they shouldn't be trading for him. Like, I mean, do you trade Middleton for Noel? No, 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 no. no. And the Sixers, that's exactly the sort of deal I think they'd want. Is like, <laughs> I mean, that's not to bring this back up again, but that's what the Wolves wanted for Rubio. Or, or yeah, yeah, that's right. I, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, I feel like that's insane, though. That is insane. Take my feelings for Rubio <laughs> out of it. At least Noel is still a young player with space to grow. Rubio is a very talented player, but not many NBA players have more defined flaws than he has. He's not even that young, and. He's never been on a winning NBA team. And you want Chris Middleton for him? Mm -hmm. I want to say this too. Another other subject. Oh, boy. I feel like Chris Middleton is in like the top tier, maybe even the, even the toppest of those tiers. <laughs> <laughs> um he can fit any team. Like, everybody wants a Chris Middleton now. If you're a, wanting to be a championship caliber team or to borrow a John Hammondism, uh, I, I feel like that's who teams want to have or want to look for in trades now, like, or even free agency. Like, a guy like Alan Kraft, that's a perfect example. Like, oh, maybe this guy could become something of like a Chris Middleton or something like that. This versatile kind of three and D, perfect complementary player. Maybe Jim I'm just, Crowder. 
Jay Crowder. No, like, I, I agree with you. Those guys are more valuable than anything, particularly if they're tied in on good contracts. And I think of those type of guys, like you can put Jay Crowder and Chris Middleton side by side as three and D players, and what they give you is worlds apart. Middleton is so far ahead of Crowder in terms of actual basketball skill, what he can do. So he is nearly the best of that style of player. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I think that's fair. Um, it's also a little bit worrying because that don't, means don't, there will be plenty of offers to be fielded. You know this. Don't, don't. I'm just speaking the truth. This means the phone will keep ringing and. Sooner or later, no, they can't insert insert decision making executive here. We'll make the call to. No, God, this is Um, this is that how. On that positive note, that wraps up our look at center. (laughs) Speaking of inserting decision making executives here. We've got a little treat in store for you listeners this week. This is normally the point where the mailbag kicks in. And then we bid you farewell for another week, but not on this occasion. Your mailbag questions will be included in a podcast which will make its way out into the world some stage in the next few days. I have literally no idea when. It could just sneak up on you any minute now. It could be days from now. I don't know, so... Gotta keep you on your toes. Um, But it's basically a bonus episode where Jordan and I are going to get lost in the wonderful world of books, front office politics. We're going to talk about all the John Hammond, Justin Zanuck, Jason Kidd related news. A real deep dive where we can share some feelings. Um, We didn't want to do that on this podcast because center is quite an important position. There is a lot of a lot of players to talk about, but watch out as very soon we will return, just as James Bond does, with a front office special podcast. I hope you can contain your excitement. For now, thanks very much for listening. Check out all of our work on site particularly our big mock draft it's worth your time it only spent i only spent uh, countless hours of losing my mind on it so go read it subscribe to us on itunes follow us on soundcloud add us on stitcher we'll be back before next week thanks for listening thank you jordan thank you